This is Let's See What Happens, a free-form discussion to talk about anything and everything. If you don't want to be offended, don't listen. If you do want to be offended, there's a good chance you will be. I hope you like this one. Let's see what happens. Love it when Bueller's dad's on, you know, and I'm like, yeah, he's got so, he's got some good stories. I know we haven't even tapped the bank and started to really get through them, but yeah, um, wanted to have you back on, and uh, I appreciate you driving all the way down here. I know no it's worries. a little bit of a trek, but uh, help me out too because I would have had to cancel otherwise because the kid did stay home sick. So I was like, ah, oh, crap, I'm gonna have to. But yeah, luckily you were coming, so yeah, it's a good. good thing anyway because I've got a PI thing I have to do for those attorneys that I work for. Oh, nice! Time. So and there that's go. over in Venice. So oh, when I leave here, I'm just going to scoot over there, and knock that out. Heck and, yeah! Uh, you know, and like most retired guys, you try to only have one thing to do a day. <laughs> so actually, I'm into Tuesday after I finish that. Exactly. You don't want to overwhelm yourself. You <laughs> yeah, don't want to overwhelm exactly, yourself. Yeah. Do you want something to drink? You want no, water? I'm good. Or I'm good for the moment. Okay. Yeah, all right. I'm just let me know if you need something. I'll get you something. Sounds good. But so. I talked to you the other day about, uh, I wanted to discuss a few things with you. Um, one of which being uh, the use of force matrix. Uh, it's called different things at different yeah. agencies, I know. Um, but uh, there's levels of resistance, there's use of force, there's threat matrix, there's all these different words and lingos that we use for basically explaining like, hey, I hit that guy because of this reason, or I did this because this guy did this. And like different agencies, again, have different verbiage on what they refer to it as, whether it's levels of resistance or use of force or what have you. But uh, I was I was thinking about the other day and I was very curious, what do you think, so you started, uh, just a refresher for everyone, you started as a law enforcement officer back in 1978. Yeah. So 1978, and then you retired as when you came back to law enforcement and then retired again, you finished in 2015. Yeah. Yes. So that's a wide span, like a big span of time yeah. from when you started to when you finished. I'm just curious, could you maybe tell us a little bit about like when you started, if it was called anything, what the use of force was actually referred to or the levels of resistance? Like what did they, was it just like, that guy needed a beating and like that was it like <laughs> yeah that was uh, you know it's funny because when you asked about this subject I, uh, I've got a thumb drive where I put hundreds of pages of documents that I had kept over the years uh, whether it was reports for interesting cases and then of course working homicide for 17 years I, I kept all of my homicide cases that I assisted on and then of course the ones that I was the lead on. Yeah. And so I, I had a lot of information to review and, and I, I probably would have had to start it about a month and a half ago because as I got into it more and more, <laughs> there was a lot. But going back to 78, it was kind of interesting. They when, when I got hired, I walked into the police department on a Tuesday because that was the start of their, their work week for billing, uh, for you know payroll stuff. And I had a garment bag over my shoulder with my uniform and that was it. And I went in there, they uh, processed me through the department, got my ID card made, I went and met the chief. Um, he swore me in, gave me a peace officer code of ethics to sign, great document, still have it. And um, after that, you know, he gave me my badge, you know, Eagle Top Shield, California. And they went down and gave me my gear. They, oddly enough, they gave me a 26 inch uh, wooden straight stick, a canister of C, 
S because mm. it was before OC, and because we, they didn't want us using CN, although I still have a canister of CN. It's kind of, kind of cool. I got it in a shadow box. Oh, dang. Yeah, the chick stick. So anyway, I, uh, they and then they gave me a, a six-inch blue steel uh, Model 14 Smith & Wesson double-action 38 revolver, you know, adjustable sights, with a cross-draw holster. Oh. And they go, you're going to have to go buy a holster after work today. Uh, <laughs> wear this on your right hip as a right-handed shooter. And so I got this stupid cross-draw on, and... Yeah, they finished up this processing. Gosh, I don't know. It was probably noon. And they go, um, well, we're going to put you in the car with one of the training officers for the rest of the day. And I'm thinking, well, I haven't shot this gun. And I just got sworn in. And I'm going to be riding in a police car. You know, and yeah. six hours earlier, you know, I was just some dude driving down right. you know, the street. So it was done differently back then. All right. They, they did that. But and I'm sure like most idiot guys that get in the law firm, they're like, cool. Oh, like, you, I bet there was no part of you that was like, Oh, I don't know if I'm ready. You were more like, all right. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, I was 22. <laughs> right. And it was like, yeah, you know, bring the world to me. Right. You know, I'm, you know, fresh out of watching, you know, stupid oh, yeah. movies and things. So, you oh, know, unbreakable right there. Yeah. But it, 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 it's, it was interesting. It progressed. And I was, I was going through, uh, we didn't have to do a, a typical use of force thing like we do nowadays. It's a little bit different. It was much more abbreviated. If we had to use a, a, a weapon on somebody, we would write out a one-page form and we'd have to check the box on what weapon was used. And so I went, I didn't think I had done this as much, but I found eight uses of the stick on people. I didn't, I, would, I could only remember a couple of them, um, uh, which were fr fractures, of course, compound mm -hmm. fractures, which were good because it, you know, kind of taught the guy a lesson. Oh yeah. He wasn't going along with the program. And, uh, so I didn't, I didn't realize that I had wielded the stick as much. And then, of course, I don't know if you remember, when I worked here for that 15 months, uh, I got involved in a thing one night. He tased a guy. And yeah. it's typical. The taser generally works. It works great against the cops. Yeah. You know, all oh, these yeah. weapons work great on the cops. Oh, heck yeah. But he tased the crap out of this guy. And it was more like the guy got, you know, shocked by a kid's toy or something. And, and I get there. He's, he's got this look on his face because he, he went in before, you know, before I got there, which, you know, he's, he's kind of a stud. And so he was getting it handled, figuring he did, then the taser didn't work. And so then he looks at me like, well, what do we do now? And I, I said, well, it's time for Stick City. And so out come, you know, that expandable, expandable ass. Yeah. You guys, and you guys have the good asps down here, the yeah. heavy ones. I carried a lightweight aluminum one, in it, which was really nothing to use. But um, anyway, so we went to chopping wood on that guy and we finally got him to release the girl he was hanging on to and everything. And then, of course, he started giving me crap about that, about Stick City for a while. It's probably died down by now. Nobody's heard that. No, no. Someone the other day just said it to me when I said that I was having you on. They said, oh, you got to have him talk about that time that guy's arm with the freaking stick. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and it's, the thing, it, it, you know, we, 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 we're lighthearted about it here and we kind of joke about it and everything like that. But the one thing that all these things have in common is they always have an active resistance by somebody who isn't going along with the program. Right. He wouldn't be sticked. He wouldn't be injured. He wouldn't have force used on him if he just went along with the program. Absolutely. And that's the one thing that seems to be forgotten whenever it comes to any use of force because no matter how you slice it it's not bad for us because we see it we live it we've done it. but you know real cops they they it's like well okay well this is what we have to do but when you, your aunt sees it or your neighbor sees it that works for ef hutton or something or wells fargo advisors and they see you trying to take somebody into custody that may have a weapon that's actively resisting right. attacking you there's no way you can make it look pretty no i don't even know if bruce lee could make I, it look pretty. i say all the time i go you know if you so ultimately what the, the object is, is like, you want the bad guy to be arrested or taken into custody, right? That's making the omelet. You can't make the omelet without breaking some eggs, right? Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it looks, it, 
I was telling this to someone the other day. I've literally had like two times in my whole career where I did something and it was smooth. Like it looked good. And someone afterwards said, that was pretty cool. Like, because yeah. it was just, it was very smooth. But again, it wasn't like both instances, someone was resisting and then became very compliant very quickly. It wasn't a full on fight. Right. A full on fight, they're never pretty. Like oh, they're never, they're, ne- they're never pretty. I mean, you can sit there and you can watch like UFC fights and these are professional fighters that are just fighting and they both know they're fighting each other and they're still quirks and weird movements and stuff that like you see these like things that you're like, oh, that looked goofier. That looked, that didn't look well rehearsed. That didn't look like a professional fighter. And it's cause it's like, it's still a fight. There's still things out of your realm of control and you can't just, oh, okay. It's going to be a nice, easy, oh, bent wrist takedown. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know what happens when you bend, when you take someone down to the ground, you slam your knee into the cement. Like it's not pretty. It's not fun for anybody. That's why I always, it is amusing, like you said, to have these people from outside sources be like, oh, what? Why did, why'd you do it that way? Why'd you do it? Listen, you give it a try. Like you give it a try and see. Like Get I, me sweaty. Yeah. And I'll throw you my cuffs. Yep. And you try and handcuff me. Oh, there was a, uh, we might've talked about this before. There was like a city council meeting or some big thing where like a, he was higher up, like a major or a captain or maybe even like a chief, like a uh, an under chief or something. And he was at some city council thing and there were like five people on the panel or whatever. And they're questioning this guy. And it was something to do with like an officer involved shooting or some you know, maybe the, the officers got a little like, they put a hit beating on this guy a little bit and people were saying it was more the, so than they should have. And why did, why did it take five officers to take this guy into custody and all this stuff? And this guy, he was a, he was a very fit individual. Like he looked like, uh, uh, was Major Kenny still there when you got there? Yeah. Yeah. That's what he looked like. He okay. looked like that guy. And he said, he counted them. He goes, one, two, three, four, five. There's five of you. Here's my cuffs. You come put them on me and I guarantee you, not just me is going to the hospital. And like, they were all like, sir, I don't. And he goes, no, 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 no. You guys want to know why? Come down here and I'll show you. Yeah. Like come off your pedestal and come down here and I'll show you why my officers had to, had to respond the way they did. That's the kind of guy you want to work for. Right. And, that, and how rare is that in upper echelon of law Somewhere. enforcement? You yeah. know, because most of the time you'll get somebody who's, you know, a, a executive staff in oh, an yeah. agency. They're a politician. And, and they'll talk about, oh, you know, I never had to take my gun out of the holster. And I'm thinking, well, what? Yeah. And did you like, ever work night shift? I was just going to say, but did you ever work? Yeah. Did you, like, ever, did you ever do a car stop alone I don't at know. night? And especially <laughs> as a cop. I don't know if that's something to brag about. Like, well, I, you know, I mean, maybe if you work in Mayberry with Andy Griffin. Right, right, yeah, yeah get your one bullet or yeah, whatever. Yeah, you, you and Don yeah. Knotts out there. But yeah. any, any real cop, I, and I, you know, because even, it doesn't make any difference where you work. If you're working up in a car in the middle of the night, and it, it's it's hinky, and you don't mm-hmm. have backup, and it's not a, you know, you're not going to call for backup on every car stop you make, although right. it would be a nice world if you could. And sometimes you can. Yeah. Sometimes that's not even an option. Exactly. And if you're, you know, your gun might be behind your, your thigh. I remember in the wintertime, it, you know, it was cold in, in California. People think, oh, it's the surfboards and everything. Well, yeah. yeah, it is part of the year, but a lot of the year it's cold, you know, in the wintertime. And you've got a J-frame five-shot Smith & Wesson in your jacket pocket, you know, with your right hand on it, and you're reaching for the driver's license and the registration oh, with yeah. your left hand. And you, that guy has no idea you got a gun pointed at him, but you right. don't know what you're walking up on. But it... One of the things that, that was interesting over the years that I saw, because you, and, and you, you spurred it when you said making it look good and smooth and everything like that. We had, when, when I went through the academy, 
they they taught us to use the carotid restraint. And I don't know, I don't think they teach it anymore. Hey, they really have gotten away from it. I don't, I don't, it's hard for me to remember if we were really taught it because the way that I went through, <laughs> oh, there he is. The way that, uh, the way that I went that. through the academy is I went through the Corrections Academy first. Okay. Which, and then I did a crossover, which the crossover was very, um, abbreviated, very abbreviated, yeah. more so for like hours of getting this and that of like requirements because it's like I'd already been, cause I wasn't like switching agencies or anything. I was still with Sarasota County. Right. Like, so that like wasn't as relevant. We didn't really have a, uh, defensive tactics portion because most of us from the jail had more defensive tactics than oh, the guys gosh, on the road. Hands on right. Yeah. So, and it's hard for me to rem- remember exactly what all was taught in the defensive tactics. Cause like we did a joint one in my corrections and it was, it was actually kind of funny. We had a, um, uh, a female instructor and a male instructor and another male instructor that was like part partially there sometimes, but like a male instructor, he found out that I had like a jujitsu background. So he would constantly be like, he was constantly poking holes in their own academia. Like he would be like, he'd be like, okay. He'd be like, so now I'm going to show you this. And he goes, but watch this. If I grab McBride and I go like this to him, what are you going to do? And like, he would do that bent arm thing. And I would just flip right over and turn around into him and grab his legs. And he's like, he goes, just remember, these are just an option. This isn't like the end all be all. He goes like, if you go against someone that knows what they're doing, you're good. He was a huge advocate for like, you need to push beyond this. Like this is the bare bones minimum of knowing how to defend yourself. Right. And even then, against someone that knows what they're doing or doesn't want to be taken into custody. And it was so funny because the female on the other end of that was like, no, this works every time, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, it well, doesn't. No, it doesn't. Like, yeah, it doesn't. Like, yeah. you can't say that. It just doesn't because that whole saying, like, there's always someone, someone better. There's always someone better oh, at gosh. whatever it is you're trying to do. No matter who you are. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very... Somewhere out there, there's a guy who can shoot faster than Jerry McClick. Yeah. You know like, I mean? I don't know who he is. but He, he, might, he might not be there yet, but yeah, he could but be, could, you know? Yeah, and it might just be him having to come across Jerry to actually, like, be pushed to those limits. You right. know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. I just get uh, – I do get frustrated, though, when people uh, – so that video I showed you before we right. sat down, um, I don't have Facebook, but someone uh, sent me a one of the comments that someone had made, and it was like – well, did he even give – so the video that we watched was a flare video of from the helicopter. So obviously all you can hear is the radio traffic, right. not like – you can't hear like us talking. It's not like a body-worn camera. And so like this guy in the comments said something like, well, how do we know that he gave him the proper commands and all this, that, and the other? And from what I read in the report, which at the time my report wasn't done – so I don't know what he must just be talking about the PCA, which I didn't write the PCA. So it was probably very broad in the PCA. I had to write a supplemental. So there's no way that he had read that yet based on when they released the video and it became public. Rec- like there's no way just time frame wise. So like even if he had read it, it's like, no, I specified very clearly in my report how off, how many times I gave commands, how what I gave his commands, at what distances I gave commands from, you know, because he's like, looks like you just rolled up on the boat and sent the dog after. And it's like, come on, man. Like, stop being a troll and trying to just cause havoc in the comment section on a YouTube video. Like, do you really think that 
that I, I'm, I'm just blown away by people that like literally have nothing better to do than to watch something like that and make that type of comment, you know? Yeah, they unintentionally, at least, but it's evident to us that they're just saying I'm stupid. Right. And I don't know anything about what I'm commenting on because number one, uh, the, the FLIR, it, it's not going to show the, you know, the, the night sun from the bottom of the helicopter on the guy. So how many times have you been out swimming in the intercoastal at night after trying to steal a guy's boat and you have a spotlight on you and you know that's probably not some, uh, you know, sport Robinson from over there at the airport right. flying around and then he got you know, the, the boat coming up. It's like, well, these guys are probably serious. I mean, yeah. you know, if and you, I, I just, I think it's odd that like, did they think we just snuck up on this guy like in the dark like just randomly like we were just out fishing and like hey you know it'd be fun like no like we were called and i'm sure you know too is like how often you had to tell someone i would i didn't just show up here magically like i was called here (laughs) you know what i mean like i i always thought it's funny when people are like oh i didn't call you well, no shit, you didn't call. You're the one that committed the crime. I didn't yeah. think you called, but I'm saying someone called. I, it wasn't just random circumstance that I just like, hello, you know? No, shut up. Dog. Yeah, you know, you look at, at the course no. of your career and you think of how many times that you've rolled up on a on a felony in progress. It's right. pretty rare. It doesn't happen that often. I mean, yeah. It happened a couple of times for me. I can remember one in particular. I was driving down the road and I was, it was night shift, of course. And I'm looking at the um, the glass windows in the in this these overhead doors at this mobile filling station, you know, gas station. And I, I see the reflection from the street lamp on all of them except one that's down in the bottom. It's like, well, there should be a reflection there, but there's not. So lights out, you know, come across the street, come around, you know, darked out and everything like that, and sneak up on the place. And here's a guy inside there. He broke the the glass. He crawled in there, and he's got a crowbar, and he's prying open the, the Pepsi machine to get the change out. <laughs> you know, and then he finally looks at me, and I'm standing outside the door, and I got the, you know, the, the old six-inch Smith & Wesson pointed at him. And I said, well, why don't you come out now before we make it ugly? And then he comes out, crawl him out, and handcuff him. But, I mean, you know, these are one of things that happen yeah. very – I remember Dave Funk, the guy who later became a captain um, – Pretty good guy, good motorcycle rider, good good motor guy, and he rolled up on a two eleven, a, a robbery in progress, yeah, and took that down. You know, I mean, so those are rare. They but, are rare. You know, you go back, and I, I was, you know, we were talking earlier about the karate, and the, we were trained in the karate because it was Sorry, a viable yeah, we got way off track. On fantastic, that, yeah. And I used it three times on people that I can remember. Um, and there might be more because I didn't get to all of that in my thumb drive. Yeah. But I, I did it uh, to, to a guy one time. He wasn't going to go along with the program, wasn't going to submit to arrest. And it was behind a funeral home on um, this main street in Modesto. And my partner was talking to him and I just came up behind him. And the karate goes yeah. on. Down he goes. Flip him over real quick and get the cuffs on fast because he's going to come up. back. He's yeah. going to come back really fast. So it, it he wasn't injured and there were no bruising. Right. And it was easy. He got in the car. There was no kicking of yeah. the windows. And everything worked smooth with the karate. And I, I did one of the drive through at a Burger King one night. Same thing. Guy wasn't going to go along with the program. My partner was distracting him. The karate goes on. And, you know, we got him cuffed up. Manager comes out. He goes, gosh, I didn't know you guys were trained like, you know, some martial arts. <laughs> yeah, thing. Right. Well, it just got lucky. It went on really good. Right. But they, the problem we ran into with that out there is eventually they took it away from us yep. for a routine use, you know, yep. like you would anything else. That's what, it, that's what it is basically out here is now it's got to be deadly force. Yeah, they, they got it right up below the gun, which it, is foolish. Well, it's very interesting that you bring this up because literally the last week, the podcast I recorded, I recorded it with uh, Mike Dresden and he started uh, Heroes Grappling Tournament. He's a jujitsu guy and 
we were just, he brought this same thing up that he thought how ignorant it was that that was, it's basically more or less been taken away from us when it's such, when taught properly, it's such a good tool because the reality is, is you, like you said, you take someone into control without injuring them in any way. And again, is there a time and place for it? Could it be someone could do it improperly? Yes, but unless they held on to it for a, ex- I mean, oh, it would have, have to be to hold it an exuberantly long, long yeah. amount of time because the reality is, is I mean, I've trained jujitsu a long time, is you go out and then you wake back up. Like it very rarely has any, and as long as I've been training, I've never seen anyone like go out so long that it's like, oh man, we got to get them to the hospital or right. we got to call EMTs. No, never. That's never, that's never, ever happened. And knock on wood, obviously, I don't want that to actually happen. Yeah, you happen, can't, but. can't say an absolute, but it was the, the, the misunderstanding that the public had with the carotid is a lot of people referred to it as a chokehold. Right. And that, again, shows their ignorance of law enforcement tactics Correct. and training. There is a, a bar arm control hold that did go across the front of the net, and it would stop the airflow coming in. You'd pinch off the guy's airflow. Right. I never used it. I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. They didn't really train us much in it because they thought the carotid was better. Yeah. Well, if you remember back in, um, it was in the early 80s, probably around 82 or so. By that time, I was on motors. So my time of using a carotid started to dwindle off because I wasn't working radio calls anymore. Mm-hmm. And they, they had an in-custody death down at LAPD. Uh, they talked to Daryl Gates, who was the chief at the time, one of the greatest chiefs in the history of law enforcement, in my opinion. And he had said that the guy that died in custody, I'm just trying to remember back because, you know, the hair is pretty gray right now. <laughs> but he had said something about some people don't recover as fast as normal people do. Well, it, he didn't mean it that it had anything to do with race. He meant that if you had drugs on board or if you had a pre-existing medical condition right. that made you susceptible to complications from a carotid, if you didn't have normal health right. and no drugs, then it might affect you differently. Well, of course, somebody misconstrued that. They turned it into a, a, an a issue on, on race. And then, and even for us, it went downhill from there. And yeah. they said, you know, you ain't using this. And, and of course, you get the, you know, one thing leads to another. So then you run forward a little while and you got Rodney King out there, proly at large, uh, under the influence with his buddy in a car. And they get stopped and... Stacy Kuhn, Ted Brazino, and uh, Lawrence Powell, I can't remember who the other guy was, they went to take him into custody, couldn't use the carotid. Mm-hmm. So they had to use the PR-24s. Yep. So now you've got Rodney King's partner, who submitted to arrest, didn't resist, cuffed, no problem, not a scratch in the back of a black and white he goes. And now these guys got to take on a guy who just got out of California Department of Corrections in Phenomenal physical shape because, you know, instead of giving them Twinkies and Ding Dongs and, right. you know, powdered donuts all day, they're giving them weight piles and, you know, pull yeah. up bars and everything like that. If I ran the Department of Corrections, I'd make sure that they had, you know, bacon and eggs and, and fried chicken and I would yeah. be giving them all sorts of steak, you know, that wasn't real lean. I'd pack them full of all sorts of, you yeah. know, unhealthy foods. So kind like of like, like, like most cops come out after they're working night shift for a long time. Right. You know? Like and, most society. Yeah. Just be yeah. like, oh, you want McDonald's? Yeah, we'll give you McDonald's every single day. So, you know, then you have the flip side of that. You have the unintended consequences of taking away a viable tool that worked for law enforcement for years and years. Yeah. You take it away from these guys and then they have to resort to the barbarian stuff that the public doesn't understand. Even my mom, I remember when that happened, she she was asking me about it and she was just a... 
That is the most terrible thing in the world. And, it, and it's funny because, you know, she came from a family of cops. There were nine of well, right. there's nine of us in the family now that my son's in there. And I, I, I told her, I said, well, it looks brutal and I get it. But I said, there's some things you don't know. He was under the influence, mm-hmm. proly at large, didn't want to go back to the joint. And he wasn't going along with the program. But if you looked at his injuries, his injuries were terrible looking. But it's not like he ended up in ICU. Right. And so this is the thing. It, it, you know, appearances can be different. Uh, you know, they, they, they often say that, you know, when the devil can do no more, he sends a beautiful woman. And so, you know, it's kind of like that. Not to mean that all beautiful women are the devil. Yes, yes. But there are a few out there that horns are disguised. So you never know what you're going to get with that. Be careful, boys. But th- this is a thing about the karate that I really didn't like when they took that away from us as a normal use of force and put it so high on the rungs of the use of force ladder. And, you know, it just kind of took a, a viable tool away from us. But um, So what do you think then, and this is what uh, Mike that I had on before we were discussing, uh, the best way to get that back would be clearly to not only educate the public, but to educate our law enforcement as, hey, like, so I can't get into all the details yet, but there are several agencies that do a thing where they literally require their new recruits to train jujitsu. Like not just, hey, you're gonna attend in-service training. No, 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 you have to attend this gym this time for this long, you know, like until you get a certain amount of training comfortably under your belt so to speak, and then you're, okay, now you're able to go. I think that's the only way that you're going to be able to get people competent enough to actually be able to uh, understand what it is like from law enforcement because I think there's even some law enforcement that don't have a full understanding of what it is because like you said, of they're like, well, I don't want to choke a guy. And it's like, well, hang on a second. There's a difference. Like right. a blood choke is way different than an oxygen choke, yeah. like yeah, exactly. night and day. And a blood choke is just shutting off the lights for a second. Just to get them in custody. That's it. Yeah. Oxygen, guess what? You're not doing chest compressions off of that. You're not doing anything like, again. Un- and like, they fight hard. Right. If you do a bar arm control, yeah. somebody, you're going to Well, because they're a, fighting for oxygen. Exactly. Yeah. But when you do the carotid, yes. you know, they, they struggle until, you know, lights they, are out. Yeah, it's and just turning it's, the lights it's out. it's quick. And, you know, there's a couple of things, you know, your, your idea on the jiu-jitsu thing, you know, to me should be in-service training just like firearms and right. you know, other computer compliance things and things like that. That's a great step. But your agent has, a, I think, an excellent thing where they have that, you know, physical uh, abilities test, mm. you know, every, you know, six months, I think it is. Yeah. And that is a, um, you know, you can't fake it. You know, you can't yeah. fake that. And that's, it was interesting. We didn't have that in California, at least mm. not where I worked. And there were a lot of guys that were out of shape, could never have passed that. I think that, you know, having that down here, that's an incentive for people that don't want to get their ass kicked twice a year to run, to run that test to try and stay in halfway decent shape. Right. So your agency has done that. The The problem with integrating a, a carotid or anything like that back into the fold in this day and age is difficult. For uh, There's one reason that it shouldn't be because you get people medically cleared now. Whereas right. back in, you know, the early 80s, we... You know, would do a carotid on somebody, we'd take him to jail, and that was it. But now, right. you know, if, if you medically clear the guy and, you, you know, you have that responsibility on medical professionals, that helps the liability for the agency. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that the people, you know, in the ivory tower, the sheriff, the undersheriff, right. you know, they're the ones who are worried about that because, you know, let's face it, when you, when you take a look at law enforcement, there's generally about 
two two ranks of you know in the in the agency that are happy. Detectives are pretty pretty happy coming to work every day because they have a pretty great job, um, at least for guys who like that job. And then uh, PM shift sergeants are usually pretty happy because that's a pretty you know good job right next to detectives. I think it's slightly below because I did both. But when you look at most lieutenants and, and not all of them, but I remember most of the lieutenants I worked for, they came to work every day unhappy because they weren't a captain. And I remember the captains came to work unhappy every day because they weren't the assistant chief. And the assistant chief was unhappy every day when he came to work because he wasn't the chief. And then of course the chief even came to work unhappy because he wasn't a chief at a bigger agency. So, you know, you got guys that are making the call on, on how they're gonna do things. And it maybe isn't emphasized as much on what it's gonna do for the agency and the public, but a lot of, it, of that emphasis is how is it gonna affect my career? Yeah. And I get that. I, I, I see it from their perspective. It's just rare that you find an administrator that will oftentimes say, now nah, I gotta do the right thing for my guys right. and for my community. And they're out there. Um, you know, I, Joe Arpaio down in Arizona, you know, the publicity he gets, he's pretty well loved for, you know, standing up with his guys. You know, mm -hmm. you know Grady, uh, Grady there in Polk County, yep. and, uh, he's really outspoken. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Maybe too much sometimes, although <laughs> I, don't, I love listening to him. Yeah, I like um, it. I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't mind it. You at know, all. Your, your sheriff, you know, uh, Hoffman, I, I don't know much about him, but he, he's, from everything that I've seen so far, it looks like he's doing a pretty good job on things. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I think you guys I, are in better think, shape than some places. Right. And I, I, I would agree with that. I think, though, that uh, – hang on. I'm just trying to find something that I sent to someone the other day. Um, well, while you're looking and, for that, I'll, yeah. I'm going to tell you a quick story about – All uh, right. Uh, you know, we were, you, when you say we were talking about use of force and things like that, we, we had a pretty liberal policy – at Modesto Police Department when I got hired for firearms. You know, you were issued the 38 revolver, um, but you could carry your own 38 or 357 if it was made by Coulter Smith & Wesson. And you could also carry a Browning High Power, a 9mm 1911, and any of the 9mm made by Smith & Wesson. And then after a few years went by, they added the Beretta 92 to that mix. And then after a few years went by, they allowed us to go to 45 caliber 1911s. And then we had a, 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 one of the guys did a negligent discharge on a parolee. He was chasing after a parolee, gets him proned out, gets the knee in between the shoulder blades, and he's going to handcuff him. And he's got his Browning high power in his hand while well, he didn't have the finger where it's supposed to be and the finger on the trigger. He triggers off around. It goes through the back of the parolee's neck, and it comes out underneath his tongue. Mm. Now, you and I... A hundred times out of a hundred, that would have killed us. Dead. But of course, this guy, an Advil and a Band-Aid, and he was good to go. You know, <laughs> it's just so typical. And so as soon as that happened, the chief at the time, he took away all the single-action semi-automatics. And most of us, you know, older guys, we dug the 1911. That you know. knee-jerk reaction? Yeah. And so then they wanted to give everybody um, Beretta 92s because our chief at the time had come from L.A. And the union approaches myself and three other guys, the firearm trainers, because it was a collateral for us. And he, um, he, the, the union guys say, hey, look, we got officers that can't handle the Beretta because it's too big. It doesn't fit their hand. And so we ended up getting into a, a, a kind of a fight with the, the chief and the captain over, you, you need to supply a suitable alternative firearm that's functionally equivalent because, you know, your car has adjustable seats in it. You can move them front and back. You wear different size shoes. You can't give the same gun to everybody because some people are not going to be able to hold it properly. And you might end up having a negligent shoot as a result of it. And so finally they acquiesced to our, you know, suggestions 
it didn't do our careers any good, but they opened it up to single stack SIG 225s, the 228, the 229, the 226, and then of course the 45 220. So that's how we ended up with a weapon system that worked good for everybody and it seemed right. to be pretty good. And you know, so they, they, you know, we went from six shooters to fairly good semi-automatics, and then of course they went to Glocks before I left. Right. And you know, if you bought your own, you could keep them and you know use them and stuff like that. So. The thing with that is, though, is, again, I, I feel like that, in that instance, very specifically, like with the officer that shot the guy, and that was a complete, like, recognizing that for, hey, this was an error on this person's part in this instant. had nothing to do with the, the weapon itself. Anecdotal. And, yeah. Addressed like, the training issue. And the other thing on top of that is it's like, okay, but at what point do we acknowledge that it's like, hey, we need to educate ourselves better on hey finger needs to be off the boomstick when i'm going hands-on or maybe not even have if i'm going hands-on maybe i shouldn't have my gun in my hand like there's a bunch of different again i hate i'm not trying to monday morning quarterback anything i'm just saying like i think that's what happens just like with this the the choke is it's i not a choke but i'm saying like it's lack of understanding right and if i think and that's why i feel like in this day and age though it would be almost easier than way back when to get the information out that hey this is not a joke this oh, is yeah. you know between social media and what you're YouTube, holding your right, right like there. i mean there's yeah. just so much not just on the the scheme of like our our higher ups either command staff but like just civilians in general like i, I want to play this video for you what i'm gonna do is i'm just gonna pause this real quick while we watch this video because we can't display it and then we'll okay. just kind of talk about it all right, so uh, obviously we're still low tech over here, but uh, I basically was just playing for John that uh, one that we discussed in the last episode, the Grand Rapids shooting where uh, the officer had the guy prone, but the guy was on his taser. He had taken his taser from him and was on it, and then he ended up shooting the guy basically more or less in the back, but it was, I, in my opinion... Again, not to Monday morning quarterback this guy. Could things have gone differently and different? Yes, absolutely. But for what he had in that moment, I'm not going to say it was a bad shoot just because of the simple fact that we're taught, we're literally taught, hey, if someone takes your taser, they can use it on you and incapacitate you. Like you have, you've not, they've raised that level of force. So now you have to raise yours higher than theirs, right? You don't fight a knife with a knife. Right. right. So yeah, it's, it's, you always have to take the higher run. Exactly. Uh, when it comes to that, and, and you know, of course, people, the, the, you know, they misunderstand the taser. I think the taser is a, a very good tool, and it's saved probably numerous lives over the years when you know cops have used it properly because it takes away the stick. You know, so you don't have to use an impact weapon on somebody. Um, chemical agents sometimes work. A lot of times don't. Uh, taser most of the time, but I remember we had a naked guy at the air terminal there in Modesto one night. Um, you know, they called us, of course, and sweaty. Uh, he was uh, he was on dope and wouldn't go along with the program. We put the canine on him, and he was throwing the canine around like it was a little ragged right. hand doll. And so we ended up having to swarm this guy to get him into custody because even the taser didn't work on him. And so you you know you all these tools are great in a way, but just like you said. Guy gets your weapon. What is he taking it for? Exactly. You know, they're, they're, the only conclusion, the reasonable conclusion that you can draw is that, okay, well, I got the cop's weapon, so he's not going to tase me, and I'm just going to go to church now and, <laughs> uh, you know, light some candles or whatever the deal is. Right. You, 
if, if you want to survive the career, you have to take into consideration that the, the logical conclusion that he's going to do when he takes one of your weapons is to use it against you. Yeah. And then you're not going home. And well, like you said, though, if the initial, like, de-escalation or whatever it is you want to call it, it's like, well, he escalated it. The, the bad guy escalated it because if he had been compliant, the cop would have never just drawn his taser on him, right? Like, none of this would have ever happened. Right. Because so, it's that common theme that we see time and time again every time you get a shoot is the guy didn't comply with the situation and right. it ended up you know ugly so to me it, it although cops need training too there's a lot of things you can do in high school you know you get school resource officers that are there pick don't pick the ones that don't want to work the street maybe pick some ones that have some pretty good communication skills and the ability to deal with young people mm -hmm. and make it part of the curriculum that as you go through high school that you need to learn a little bit about law enforcement and how they deal with things. And if you don't want to get, you know, the raw end of, you know, a police weapon, just go along with the program. Yeah. Yeah. Inconvenient. I get it. Yeah. It, Sometimes you didn't do anything. Yeah. And, Absolutely. And, it, and it can be sorted out. And is there that one officer out of, you know, hundreds that is a, a complete piece of crap, never should have been hired? Yeah. We hire them from the human race. So we're going to get that. Exactly. But those are so rare. Whereas these kinds of incidents are not. And these, again, the common theme, non-compliant. People say, well, he should have de-escalated it. How is this <laughs> right. officer going to de-escalate a situation that he has no control over? This right. guy determined where it was going. The officer, the only control he has is if he is able to save himself is how it ends. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's even from the start, approaching... You know, you, you make car stop after car stop after car stop, you know, mm -hmm. hundreds of them in your career, thousands in your career if you're working traffic. And they all have that common feel to them. Okay, you got a gal who's maybe my age and she's, you know, in her Acura and she's really not a threat. You're always worried, but she's not a threat generally. And the car stop goes okay. This is one of those rare ones where you know from the start it ain't going good. It's not. The guy gets out of the car, big warning sign. He tells him to get back in. He won't comply. Right. He's stalling, and even on the, the verbal exchange that they had where he's not going along with the program, yeah. uh, I don't think I would want him to go back in and get the driver's license no, at that point. No, definitely not. I would, okay. And I've actually had that where someone, when they get they're like, whether they're at where they're going or they're just, they're coming out to confront me, whatever it is, if they hop out and they're not, they're not still like half in, half out of the vehicle... And I can't catch them before they're out. If they're out, I let them stay out. And I usually bring them to me. Like, right. I, I'm like, hey, walk over towards the front of my vehicle. Because, like, get them away from their vehicle. Because they're either, one, they're either, they were so unaware that you were behind them pulling them over. Two, they didn't want you to pull them over. And they're trying to get away. Or three, they're going to confront you because they didn't want you to pull them over. Like, you're usually getting one of those three options. There's not, there's not someone going... It's not a grandma getting out going, I like the lights that you got on your car. Like that's, I've never, ever had that happen. I'm going to like, Red Lobster. Right, exactly. Like that doesn't happen that way. Well, and the only, you know, you can, you can look at what this guy did, but I, I mean, it's easy to, to sit back and say, well, you know, maybe he should have just disengaged and told the guy to just stay by the front of his car, call for another unit, wait for another unit to get there, cuff him up two of you together, detain them, maybe they would have gotten an advantage. But I still think you're going to have a, a foot chase and a fight on your hands with this guy because it didn't seem like he was ever going to want to go along with right. the program. And, I, you know, I'm not trying to, again, I'm not trying to pick it apart, but my only thought for him uh, wanting the guy to go back in the car is because the guy got out so quickly and closed the door and there was still someone else in the car. Maybe, and this is like 
a maybe. The officer was trying to get the door back open so he could see more of what was going on in the vehicle, which, hey, maybe that was what his thought process was. Like, hey, no, get in there and get the light. Because, like, I see someone else is in there. Like, or what get else them both you got in going? there so you right. can contain them both inside Exactly. The so, yeah, like, so there's no – I could definitely see the argument going both ways. But I'm just saying, like, uh, watching that and then you even said while you're watching the first time you go – Right here would be a perfect time for Leonard. Like just freaking – he's on his back. The guy's got his – the other guy's got his arms under him. It's like what he, – he's not going to be able to block his neck. You know what I mean? Like – Yeah, it's – you know, and, and this all could have been solved if that guy would have just gone along with the program. Yeah. I, I know you're aware of Bill Lewinsky, right. you know, up in Mankato State University and, and uh, Force Science Institute and things mm-hmm. like that. This would be a prime case for them to come in Absolutely. And, and, you know, just – go through every little thing that goes on in the whole sequence right. of events to show exactly what the danger of the officers is. Because as we sit here as having a little bit of experience, we can see what's going on here in a different light and through a different filter than most people can. And, you know, most people, oh, gosh, you didn't have to shoot him. Well, actually, kind of did yeah. because the guy's hands were in view. And if he disengages, now the guy uses a taser on him, takes the gun, kills him, and now you got a big And to be completely face. fair... The dude's hands are under him. He's not being compliant. Maybe he didn't even, maybe he had dropped the taser, but you don't know what else that guy has on him. Like there's, there were so many other factors involved in that decision. I don't think it's, uh, it's, it's hard for anyone sitting outside of it to sit there. And that goes with most shootings almost always is to go like some shootings. Yeah. Kind of like what we were talking about with like takedowns and stuff. It's like, sometimes they can look real pretty. It's pretty clear cut and dry. Like, Hey, that guy drew a gun. That guy shot that guy. That's it. That's yeah. it. End of story. There's really no, no other, like nothing else other than that. But then like things like this, the it waters seems- get a little murky, you know, it gets a little gray. But the, at the end of the day, is like you said, was he being compliant? Was he following lawful order? Was he doing something that you would think, oh, that's, that's reasonable. Right. He's not. He, the guy's not being reasonable in any way in his behavior. So if these be- encounters um, occur and take place in the chain of events, are very similar to what the public has been conditioned through television and, and movies, then everything looks good. Okay, you take them down like Steven Seagal does in Under Siege, um, or you know you 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 know you shoot them like I, well I, I probably should say Dirty Harry because that's not really a good comparison, but <laughs> right? You know, okay, you take them down like John Wick or something, right? Like that, right, right. Shooting at you, you know, and you you know you throw the gun in the air, you press check it in the air with one hand and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Uh, I wouldn't try it, but uh, not with uh, except I was on a carpet, maybe with some pillows or something like that, or with a gun I didn't care about. But when you when you take a look at all these things, if if it doesn't work the way people are conditioned, they're always going to think it's bad. Right. And it's not. It's just they're not conditioned because it's not good entertainment to see this kind of stuff. Good entertainment is somebody who's so capable, you know, Seagal, Bruce Lee, you know, guys like that that, you know, can do that stuff, you know. Jackie Chan and, and Chris Tucker. Right. And, you know, Russia, oh, yeah. You know, things Absolutely. like that. You know, takes a gun from them and all that kind oh, of stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, so when you get that and people, you know, they're sitting in the movie theater, they got the popcorn and the Pepsi and everything, and they're going, oh, that's the way it's supposed to I, be. I can do that. You know, yeah. yeah I Why didn't you shoot him in the leg? Gosh, if, if it was like that, yeah. I'd still be working. You know, yeah, I would never shoot him in the leg. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, I, I like whole... the people that shoot him in the leg. It's like, uh, have you ever heard of a femoral artery? Oh, my You know, gosh. you shoot him in the leg and they're still going to bleed out probably oh, before the ambulance gosh. gets there. It's like, oh, and, and the leg moves pretty quick sometimes, you know. Yeah, okay. oh, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll shoot him in the leg. Yeah. Yeah, so I think. I, I just had to show that to you because I uh, wanted to mainly show you the video behind it about kind of getting back to what we were saying about how I feel like if we educated the higher ups, 
on what we're trying to accomplish with say like jujitsu and having that as a regular training tool, then maybe they would be forced slash more wanting to educate the general public on it because you saw, so I, I played John another video and it's uh, from the Gracie Academy that does the, uh, all the, the cop training and uh, I'll put a link in the description, but it's, it's basically explaining how, um, where was that? Georgia? Or was it Marietta, Georgia? Yeah, Marietta, how they, they yeah, saved how, themselves an enormous amount of money, even oh when they factored gosh. in the, the cost of the training and, right. and all that stuff with the lack of payouts on, you know, lawsuits and things that they have to deal with. And, and he even said there was a really great quote in there, I thought, is a, a, a confident officer generally doesn't have to resort to the use of his weapons as fast as maybe an officer who isn't competent. Right. And this is the first thing that I saw over the years um, early on, although it changed during the course of my career. Whenever there was a budget cut, one of the first things that went out the window was training. And they mm -hmm. did have some court decisions over the years, and it specifically stated that you can cut other things, but you can't cut training and the expense of training if you have budget issues because it's a necessity. And it, it, it was specifically for firearms because, of course, that's what, where my training was and that's the stuff that I trained with the most. I, I mean, I would like to have been Jackie Chan like you guys, but, you know, that was <laughs> I don't know about Jackie Chan, and everything but... like that. But <laughs> if, if the public, you know, still the bottom line is, you know, get somebody from the public to try and handcuff somebody who doesn't want to be handcuffed that's sweaty. And let's see how much fun you have doing it. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, you're not worried about, you know, the collar on your polo. You're not worried about tearing a hole in your pants, you know, and... and this is the stuff that happens when you really have to go after somebody is your uniform gets shredded, your gear is strewn halfway around the place, you know, because it doesn't always stay on, and you're kind of stuck with all that stuff. But I, I can't really see anything wrong that the officer did on this. You know, I guess you could say, well, maybe if you would have done this different, it might have happened differently. Well, I guess you could maybe say that, but why waste time doing that? Right. Well, you like know? we talked about last week, then you could also say, well, what if that guy hadn't put the wrong tag on his vehicle? Like the stop never, like you could just what if it all yeah. the way back to, you know, well, what if his mom had chosen to swallow instead of, you know, yeah. whatever. Like, I mean, you could literally argue it all the way back. My biggest thing is I think the, the obvious facts are, hey, like you said, be compliant, do as, you know, like it's sometimes it can be annoying or awkward or uncomfortable. I had a, it's funny. I actually, my buddy was, uh, was in the Marine Corps. He was down visiting us one time and, uh. He's helping me install something here at the house. I can't remember. But then we went out to eat uh, at Hooters. And right across the street was a Best Buy. And we're sitting at the Hooters. And it was me, my buddy, and my wife. And we're sitting there. And two Charlotte County deputies walk in. They look around. They look at us. They walk straight over. They tell my buddy to stand up, put his hands behind his back. They put handcuffs on him. And we're like, what's going on? And like, I just, I was just kind of sitting there. And I was like, what's going on? And he asked, he goes, do you have a weapon on you? He goes, yeah, I do. Like, cause he carries yeah. a firearm. He's like, yeah, yeah. I, I, yes I do. And they're talking to him and they bring him outside and I see him talking to him for a second. And they're like looking at him and then someone pulls up and they take the handcuffs off and they wave to him and he comes back inside. He goes, I guess someone just robbed the Best Buy and they said I fit the description. <laughs> but guess what? This guy was a force recon marine guy, freaking longtime MMA guy, like badass dude. Right. And he literally was... They told him to stand up. He did. He came from his his grandpa was an FBI agent, like an FBI guy for his whole career, and he just he comes from a good family. He knew he didn't do anything wrong, and he just 
God told us to, okay. And I know some of you are like, oh, you're just going to be a sheep. Well, there's a difference, I yeah. think. Like, hang on a second. I think that was a law enforcement officer just told you to stand up and he did it. And he goes, put your hands right. He puts his hand. Hey, what's going on? You know, like he, he said, he goes, what's going on? He's like, I'll talk to you outside. And he takes him outside, talks to him. Guess what? Handcuffs came off just as easy as they went on. And he came back in and sat down and had his meal. And then we had a funny laugh. Like we had a laugh about a funny story now because it was just kind of crazy that it happened because my wife was like, should you go out there? And I was like, no. I was like, I go, I "I have nothing to do with this. I go, I don't think, I don't think he has anything to do with this either, but they're going to figure it out. Like he's been with us the whole time. It wasn't like. He even drove another vehicle that he would have, you know, cut someone off or done something that we wouldn't. We all rode there together from my house. Like, we hadn't done anything. Like, it was literally like a, this is weird. Did, did you get a hold of the waitress and have her split the check? Yeah, right. I was like, hey, yeah. I don't know if he's coming uh, back. Yeah, you know, yeah. Gonna, cut, <laughs> cut that real quick. I don't know that guy. He just sat down with us. But, you know, what, what, I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic story if it was filmed because it would show this is the way you deal with this. Right. Stuff. And then you show, you know, Grand Rapids resistor here. Yeah, totally. And this is how bad it can get if you don't. And, and like, it's a pretty easy choice to make. I haven't done any follow-up on this. That would shame on me. But I would be very curious to hear, like, did that guy not have a license? Did he have a warrant? Did he have, you know, what was what was the reasoning yeah, was the for that? Because I'm sure there was. Like, there wasn't, there's, yeah. there's no doubt in my mind just based on his behavior of the initial contact. There's no doubt in my mind that. That guy didn't have something else going on. Oh, gosh, yeah. Like, I yeah. imagine not just the plate on the car was wrong. Yeah, dead hooker in the truck. Some, I mean, something. something like, like yeah, I of... guarantee you there was something more. And that's the part that's unfortunate is that's another hard thing to kind of like uh, conceptualize to the public of like, hey, we've been doing – anyone that's been doing this for a little while, sometimes you make a stop and the hairs on your neck stand up a little bit and you kind of go, oh, there's something off about this. Right away. Like, right, just because you've done enough of them, like you were talking about before, uh, all traffic stops, everything fits into a certain category. And then when something's not in that, that category, outlier, yeah, it's you go. the thing that makes you, huh. they, you know, it's, it, I remember one time I, I, I lit up a guy and he, there was no place for him to stop right where I lit him up, but I knew he'd drive across the intersection and he could pull over into a parking lot. Well, he goes by that parking lot. Goes by two more, mm. and then he drives. And I can see him. It's night. He's looking in the mirror, and you know, and the lights are there. I mean, it's there's no mistaking. And he, he he drove for, yeah, it was probably a third of a mile, and he turns down this one street, goes north, and parks by this park. You know, pulls over, and I, of course, I got him lit up. You know, with the the car and everything. I was a sergeant at the time, and my guys heard me call out on this, and I had mentioned to dispatch that you know, uh, you know, car stop, whatever the location. And I go, yeah, he's continuing failure to yield, but no speed. And, you know, the distance, well, of course, my guys are coming over because they're going, hey, you know, JV's stopping some guy and he's not going along with the program. So go up, you know, get the guy out of the car, check his license, license is suspended. Okay, just stand here by the trunk of your car. You know, give him a ticket for 14601, you know, suspended license. And, um, okay, your car's going to the boneyard. And um, is there anything you need out of the car? And he's like, uh, no. And I said, well, you can wait for the tow if you want. And like a, like an idiot, I'd let him go, and he uh, walks off. So of course, you know, I'm filling up my paperwork for the tow, doing my 180, uh, and you know, tow shows up. So I'm going to go inventory the car. Stolen two inch 38 by the transmission hump right by the gas pedal there under the, uh, the uh, uh, floor mat, and you know, and I, I and I, I I didn't mention this, but I did a passenger side approach on this. 
got out of the car, went behind my car, came up in the passenger side. He's looking on the outside window, looking for me. And then I rap on the passenger side window, startled him. And then that's, of course, when he got out. Yeah. But, you know, it was one of those things, the distance from where the stop should have happened to where he finally pulled over was that sense that we have mm-hmm. because of experience. And right. you don't have to have 50 years in. Right. You can have two years in and have that experience as long as you're... You know, and this is more for the young cops out there, which, of course, it's been many years since I was one of them. But if, if they get anything out of this, just remember that every time you do a stop, that's just more experience in the bank. Right. And when you get that stop, like Grand Rapids, where you've got out of the car, refuses to comp- comply, he's not going along with the program, he's hesitant, not even if he admits that he speaks English or not, he's looking for avenues of escape, you know, maybe... You know, be ready because something's happening. Right. And you don't want to be caught behind the eight ball on Well, that. have you ever read that book, Gift of Fear? By uh, Gavin, Gavin De, Becker, uh, yeah, De Becker. Yeah, Gavin DeBecker, I think. Something yeah. like that. That's, the, I mean, that's exactly what that is. It's just heightened even more so, I think, for cops because it talks about recognizing your instincts. Like, I, I, he had a, he was actually on Joe Rogan not too long ago. Oh, he but, was? Oh, yeah. So I'm going to look but, that uh, I had no idea his background. And so it was very interesting. But like, uh, I had read that book years ago. And then I was like, man, that name sounds familiar. Yeah. I started listening to it, realized who it was. And uh, but he said it perfect on that. I think it was on that podcast, or maybe he said it in the book. Uh, he said he goes, it's about recognizing your instincts. He goes, listen, you have those for a reason. Like people are scared of snakes still to this day because their ancestors had to deal with snakes. Like right. it's inbred in us. There's other things that are in us that sometimes we may not even recognize what it is. Like. A perfect example is a woman like working late at work or at her, she's going to her apartment or whatever, and the elevator door is open and there's a guy standing in there that does nothing, nothing weird about him or anything, but she's like you and me, right? She's never seen him before and something makes her go, Ooh, I don't know about this. And then what does she do? She climbs onto a steel soundproof box with this stranger. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Exactly. And that's exactly what it is. It's it's talking and it is more geared towards uh, females in the sense of like, Hey, recognize sometimes it's okay to be rude. If it's about your safety. And like, that's rude you about know, it. If yeah. I'm and you just go, looks at me and, and you goes, just go, oh, I forgot my keys. Yeah. Or, oh, and you just turn around and go back. Like, you don't have to get on. Like, And that's the other thing is just we've been uh, – I think a lot of uh, conditioning has happened in society of like – don't judge a book by its cover. Some books need to be judged by their cover. Some books are pieces of shit. Like, and and if, you, if you make the choice to not expose yourself to the problem, you're going to be a winner. Right. But so, if, you, if you make that gamble to get in there because you're worried about some guy's feelings that you never met before in your life, right? he might turn you into something you don't want to be. And, and guess what? If it is someone like you or me and the door's open and some lady looks at me, my goofy ass, and goes... And doesn't say a word. And the elevator's door closed. Guess how much more thought I gave to that? None. It didn't matter at all to me. So that's what I'm saying. The difference between someone that is looking to take advantage and someone that has no intention of taking advantage, their perception of it are completely different because I'm not – it's probably not – I'm probably just going, oh, that was weird. And – go about my day. She didn't hurt my, she could have gone, I'm not getting on there with you. And I've been like, okay. And I would have continued to ride the elevator to wherever it is I'm going. I wouldn't hurt my feelings if she didn't want to get on with me. Like, okay, like whatever. Even being retired, I have more things to worry about. Right. Like I don't, I don't care. So I just, I thought that that was a, uh, it's a good comparison of we have instinctual, like naturally reoccurring 
instincts of danger and fear for fear is not always a bad thing is his big right you know push it's not it's not a bad thing it well, can save you it does a lot of things for you that whole fight or flight thing that is fear and sometimes the almost always the better option is to flight it is always to, to leave you, almost you always. win every fight you don't attend right and the only difference is like in regards to what we're talking about though is Law enforcement doesn't usually have that option to leave. No, because we, we're, we, we're, the, we're the ones that the have to leave. tip of the social sphere. Exactly. Right so that being said, maybe it should be less taken for granted that when we say, based on my training and experience, this dude was going to break that. Like, right. you know, that should account for something more in a report, I feel like, than just, oh, they're just saying in my training. Yeah, in my training experience, which at now, I'm at like 13 years now of doing this, it's like, okay. I can pretty usually call, like you said, like, oh, there's something off about this car. Or, oh, there's something off about this guy or this yeah. chick or whatever the case may be. Like, hey, this maybe treat this one a little bit, a little bit more cautious than I even normally would because something doesn't feel right. Like this one's making my hair stand up a little bit. I don't like yeah. this. Well, I had, I had the young guys in the, ra- in the range when I was teaching at the academy because that was another collateral duty that was always fun. And so... We, we'd finish up with range training stuff, and I would I would talk to them about, okay, what, what did you see today? Oh, we saw the targets, you know, and everything like that. I go, no, 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 what did you see today? And, they you know, they, they could look, but they wouldn't see. I said, you know, so we'd take them down to walk down to the range, and they would see bullet perforations and penetrations in wood. Mm. They would see ricochets off of concrete, and so they would be able to identify what a bullet leaves behind the impact mark. I said, you know, if you guys, if you take a look at, look at where the steel is and look what the bullet did to the steel, look at what it did to the concrete, look what it does to the wood. So you go out to a crime scene as a patrol guy, you're already an expert. You don't, yeah. you don't know it because nobody's told you, but I can qualify you as an expert for bullet impacts. Give me 10 minutes if you're on the stand yeah. because you've got more than the average person's knowledge of this because you've been out here on the range with hundreds of rounds being shot right. not just by you but by the guy next to you the girl next to you on the other side yeah and so if you you, you don't have to have decades to really have that idea you think about how many times do you go to a family fight you know you get dispatched to that and they all pretty much fit into that box until you go to that one where it doesn't mm-hmm. and when it doesn't fit in that box then you know that something bad is Brewing, right? And how you would identify it and how you deal with it is going to depend on whether or not you're going to go home. Yeah. So that's kind of like this guy. He's going home. I'm glad of that. Yeah. Could he have done something different? Could he have done something better? Yeah, he could have taken vacation that day and not been at work. (laughs) Exactly. But uh, from what I see there, I can't cap on him at all. Right. It still goes by what we said. Just comply and you don't die. Yeah. Yeah. It's... It seems like a very simple assessment. Like it's not. Super well, it falls on our administrators to, you know, and this is a difficult thing for them because they're in a bad position because they, uh, you know, they want to do their career and they want to, you know, make their way through the agency and do what's best for the agency. Most of them, some of them not so much, but most of them, I think they have a good, um, a good reason for being up there. They have to take a little bit of a risk. Some of them do, but some of them don't because they're getting paid that much money to be up there, they've got that title, where maybe you have to take a stance and tell the public, yeah, this looks like crap, but let me tell you what it really is, Mm -hmm. and then educate them. And if they're not good at that, if they can't convey that message, they should tap, in my opinion, 
and you, it's worth what you're paying for it, zippity do that. But <laughs> they need to find somebody in the agency, in you know, in the training division that is an effective communicator that can say, you know, the, the sheriff or the chief could say, well, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Lieutenant so-and-so, he's one of our trainers. You know, Lieutenant, and then he comes up to the right. and says, okay, I know what you saw and it looks like crap. Okay, but let me tell you what really could happen with this. And then maybe have another video that shows how it could go the other way. Yeah. And contrast the two. But there's your education of the public. You won't reach everybody, but if you reach some of the vocal opponents of law enforcement. I think when we did one of the podcasts before, we talked about, I think it was in Phoenix, might have been Mar Maricopa County, where they invited that uh, police critic down yep. to their training, yep, yep. and their force-on-force -force stuff, and he was blasting the crap out oh, of everybody. Yeah. You know I, I, mean? I remember one where it was, uh, he was, uh, oh man, it might have been that same one, where he was like, he was like doing the marches and stuff. Like he was like a, he was, yeah, he was before, a before yeah. Black oh, he Lives Matter. Yeah, but he it was, was just he, beating the crap out of him. And he literally was like holding a gun to the back of one guy's head while he's trying to pat oh, him yeah. down and stuff. And like, guy approaches and, him, he shoots it, him. Yeah. You know? And again, it was like, you know, this is fake. Like, you know, this is just a training scenario and you still responded that way. His, his change in demeanor and yeah. his, I have so much respect for that guy by the fact that he would humble himself to go to, do it, to do it. Yeah. And then to show what he did instead of saying, oh, I really don't want that out there. But, and then to admit what it was. I mean, yeah. that guy to me is at the star. end. I still remember he still was like, he goes, yeah, he goes, I'm not saying they always do things right, but I do think exactly what we're saying. Just comply, you know, and you'll get, if it comes to that, you'll get your day in court and it'll get worked out. Yeah, you like, do. And it's like, yeah, that's it. Like, I think people fail to realize like how, often that actually does happen. You know what I mean? Like that people, I, I mean, I can't tell you that is uh, something that I've told numerous people is, Hey man, you know, these cuffs come off just as easy as they go on. Like they That's really it. do. Like it's, it's just a, it's more for my safety and everything. And then it's like, guess what? Then if you did do something, you go to jail, our justice system, you're going to be back out in a very short time. Yeah. So does it really matter? You know, I was working with a couple of guys one night. Um, it was a Sunday night, and that's when they would usually have the you know, Hispanic guys would always have their little get together at this one park there in Modesto, and and our guys rolled up on some of them that were kind of creating a ruckus. And I thought they went overboard by the tickets, and then you know there was a just a rinky dink warrant. Let it go. Let's let's not waste our time on this. And they. They really, I, to me, they went overboard on this one guy. And his girlfriend was there. And, you know, she's, you know, giving the daggers to all of us. And I'm just sitting there because it's like, well, I'm the contact, or I'm the cover guy. I'm not the contact guy. And so, you know, it's like, well, I, I don't agree with this. But it was legal. And there was nothing wrong with it. I don't know, a few days go by, and I'm working day shift again. And I'm going down this one road on the Kawasaki, of course, working mortars. And I see this traffic violation, light her up, she pulls over, and it's the same gal from Sunday night. And I walk up, and she sees me, and it's like, oh, this, you know, and you can attach any name you want to it. <laughs> and I looked at her, and I, I said, you know, I stopped you for this. You know, can I take a look at your license? And she goes, my license is suspended. She's honest with me. I said, well, where are you going? Well, I'm going to my house, about three blocks over there. Well, show me your license. So she, you know, shows it to me. It's suspended, you know, but... I saw the address and where she was going, and it's like, okay, I'm going the other way. I'm not giving you permission to drive, but I'm not going to check to see if you do. Mm -hmm. But if you do, just go home. And she looked at me, she go, why? And I said, because you paid more Sunday night. Mm -hmm. 
And that, to me, that was the way to build trust. Now, yeah. it's an anecdotal thing. It's a one-of, although there were many of those over my career. Yeah. But the thing is, is, you know, if, if just because you can enforce the law doesn't mean you have to. And, you know, and that was one of the reasons that I didn't stay at the agency longer because there was a, you know, a, a, a supervisor that didn't like the fact that I didn't write as many tickets as he thought I should. And I get that. But to me, you know, you write a ticket if a guy, unless you're working traffic, if, if you're working traffic and it's all about tickets, I get that. But if you're a patrol deputy or a patrol officer and you see a guy make a bonehead move and no other driver's affected and it's 10 o'clock at night and there's nobody around, little community building with a war with a warning yeah. to me is the way to go. Heck yeah. You know, and, 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 and you give them a reminder. Hey, next time you do get a ticket, remember tonight. You didn't get one tonight. Right. And so just remember the next time you get one that maybe they don't. Yeah. I always think it's funny, even, and I'm sure you probably still get it even to today, is people will tell me. I know what you're going to say. I, I got a ticket or blah, 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 gave me a ticket. Can you believe that? And I'm like, my buddy literally, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, yesterday texted me from Indiana. And he said, man, or no, not yesterday. It was, yeah, Sunday. Yeah. He texted me. He goes, man, I just got pulled over. He goes, he goes, I just got a written warning. And I said, Cool. I said, I said, cool. Stop. And he goes for doing like 60 and a 40. And I said, I go, well, slow down, man. I go, I go, sounds like you lucked out. Slow down. And he goes, written warning for for 20 over. I know. And he goes, he goes, yeah, he goes, yeah. He goes, uh, he knew my dad. So he, he made me call my dad. And then my buddy's 35 years old. He goes, he made me call my dad. And I said, and I said, well, sounds like if you weren't speeding, you wouldn't have ever got stopped. And he, and he goes, yeah, you're right. And I'm like, but it, I just find it odd that people like tell me, I've been pulled over. As a cop, I've gotten pulled oh, over when I'm like in my personal vehicle because guess what? I was doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing. And like, I've lucked out because like the one time it was a trooper too. And I was like, I'm getting a ticket for sure. Because it was on 75 and I was speed. I was speeding. I don't remember how fast I was going, but I was definitely speeding. And they were running like their little wolf pack thing. Yeah. yeah and classic. This guy, I mean, I was fairly new. I was probably like three years on or so, but he, uh, I had a buddy with me and uh, we were going mountain biking at Alafaya and we were heading up there and uh, this trooper pulls me over and, you know how fast you're going? Yes, I do. You know, I had my crew set at it. So like, I know how fast I was going fast and uh, gave him my license and my ID and, you know, all my stuff. And he's like, you work for the sheriff's office? Yes, sir. And it's like, then you should know better. And I go, you're... Absolutely right. I should. I go. I apologize. You know, I was. I, I I go that I go. I was speeding. I go. I have nothing else. Like I have no excuse for you. And he's like, he goes, that's ridiculous. And he like walks back to his car. My buddy's like, you think you're gonna get a ticket? And I go, I don't sit in my car that long unless I'm writing a ticket because he was back there for a second, you know. And uh, he came back and he kind of like gave me the right, kind of read me the right act a that's little bit, like you know. You know, maybe I should. He goes, I maybe I should call down to a supervisor at the SO and see if you know, Bob, and just kind of like. And at, at a certain point, I I finally said, I said, Hey man, you got to do what you got to do. I go, If you're gonna give me a ticket, like I understand you got to do it, so I'll take the ticket, you know, like whatever it is you got to do, I understand, you know, because I was kind of like, Why does this guy like I, I'm a grown man. And I do the same job you do, except more, like I do more. Cause, yeah, you know, yeah, just true more diverse. But uh, sorry if I'm offending any troopers out there. But I'm like, I, I go, I get it, man. Like, you got to do what you got to do. And he's, uh, and he's just like, 
all right, well, you know, slow it down, blah, blah, blah. And like, I, God, I wish I could remember the last thing they said. But I remember it put such a bad taste in my mouth. He said something along the lines like, maybe, maybe show some, uh, uh, maybe represent your agency a little bit better or something, something along those lines. And I'm just like, just give me the ticket. Like, I'd rather have the ticket yeah, than listen to you yeah. berate me for, like, it's like, I was speeding, dude. I wasn't shooting a gun out the window, throwing, like, you know, dirty diapers at people's windshield. Like, oh I wasn't, I wasn't doing any, I was speeding, and, like, there were six other people pulled over, too, with this wolf. It's like, I was speeding, man. That was it. Like, and that's what people fail to realize, too, is that, like, when they do get a ticket for speeding, it's like, you're just speeding. It's not like the, you're the end-all, be-all, like, I know it sucks, and it's not fun, but the reality is, is you were speeding. So and how many times were you doing a traffic violation and you didn't get caught? Exactly. I mean, so I'm looking at the bank, and I've got a hell of a lot of credit in there. <laughs> Absolutely, for I haven't been yes. ticketed for. But it, you know, and, and you, you do this job for a while, you're going to stop other cops. Yeah. And you know, just to think about. I would never use a car stop as a reason to give another cop a bunch of crap. No. And, and, you know, and, and it's, I've got the same reaction from guys that you gave to him. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, you know, maybe a little embarrassed. Um, you know, they, and they're hoping they're not going to get a ticket and everything like that. But from another agency, you meet somebody, gosh, to me, that's, a, that's an opportunity to build some bridges. Hey, right. what's going on down there in Bakersfield or right, something like right, that? Right. You, know, and it, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, anyway, I, I never had, a, I just didn't take traffic that serious. You know, right. I mean, if it was a, uh, injury producing violation that affected another driver, yes. totally get it. Absolutely. I, you can't, it's it. just like anything with this job, though. If you take it too personal, you're going to like lose your mind. You can't take oh, it gosh, personal. Yeah. And then that's a lot of, and I was a traffic guy for six and a half years on the motor, but I didn't take it that personal because right. it's just tickets. I'm driving from Barso to Vegas one time. I was going to see my dad, and you know, which is you know, like halfway between LA and, and Vegas. And, mm -hmm. I'm, and this is back when it was a 55 mile an hour limit, probably mm -hmm. well before your time. You know? <laughs> and so, of course, I'm doing 70, you know, as you do out in the high desert. And of course, I, I see this flashing light come up behind me it's chippy you know and so he pulls up next to me i'm in the right lane he's in the left lane and it's you know there's a big wide meeting other lanes on the other side and he gets on the pa oh, i'm gonna stop another car uh follow me and pull in behind me and went, <laughs> okay you know and he takes off and, and I, his, his lights disappear in the horizon and i come over this, this ridge and then i see the light down there you know and it's like well he's still there and he's writing some guy you know and so i pull up behind him and i roll down the passenger window and you know make sure that my stuff's in order and then he comes walking back and he goes um you with Modesto PD I go yeah he goes wait here a minute I gotta finish this guy oh okay and so he finishes giving the ticket that guy sends him on his way he comes back I see your ID I go yeah and so I show it to him and he goes oh, okay um I just wanted to make sure that he didn't see me not giving you a ticket but yeah and down the road, I'll see you later I go I can't believe it you're not giving me a ticket he goes you're not LAPD. You didn't just hang your badge out the window and not stop. <laughs> but is that what they do? Dang. But anyway, I, I was stopped by Chippy so many times, and they were always great to me. And, you know, I, I got a ticket one time, and, and I, was, I, was on a, I was on my Goldwing. I was going uh, back to Minnesota to see relatives back there, and I was riding through Nebraska. 55 limit, Good. doing 70 on the Goldwing. And you know. probably like under 55 if you're riding. Oh, gosh. Freaking, you know, oh to try gosh. and go past Nebraska at 70 or at 55 miles an hour, oh, you might Jesus. as well just, you know, you're going to have three haircuts and, you know, yeah. get to the end of it. Turn the light off when you leave. Yeah. So anyway, you know, Trooper pulls me over and, you know, he has me come back and sit in the front seat of his car with him while he writes out the ticket. And he's got a 
Remington 870 laying across the tranny hump in a sportsman's case, like he's shooting, you know, doves on it. You know, Probably is working, out there you know. in Nebraska. And then he, he said, uh, he said something about, uh, you got any questions? I said, well, yeah, I got one question. I said, you know, you know, you know, I'm a cop from California. I'm just curious as to why you given me a ticket when, you know, you, we'd give you a warning in California. And he goes, well, you guys know better than anybody else. You're not supposed to be speeding. Sign here. And it's, you know, and they had a thing there where, you know, he'd give you um, your ticket, but then you had to follow him to the next town to put the fine in an envelope and put it in the mailbox. Then he'd give you your license back. Oh, my God. Because otherwise you'd skip on a court date. Could you imagine trying to get someone to do that today? Yeah, yeah. There's no way in hell. They'd be like, do you got Venmo? Yeah, I'm not... So, I'm not doing that. A, like, I got places to go. Well, that was so long ago that there was a Wells Fargo stagecoach going the other direction. Yeah, right. I was in it. But, oh, but yeah, so, you know, you get tickets, and it is what it is. And uh, I got a ticket one time for overtime parking downtown in Sarasota. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, dang it. You know, and I, so I go down to the to City Hall there off of Fruitville, and I walk in there, and, and it was like 25 bucks or something like that. And the gals are behind the glass, you know, probably bulletproof because people are paying right. tickets there. And they, they look at me like, oh, here's another butthole coming in with a ticket. He's going to be a jerk, you know, and everything. And I go, um, hey, I got this invite to uh, donate $25 to the city. Who do I see? And they look at me for a minute like, who is this nutcase? Of course, you already know. Yeah. And so then they kind of cracked a smile. I said, here you go. See you later. And it's like, okay, bye. Right. It's all attitude. Yep. You know, attitude Absolutely. in life is a key to just about everything. You know, you that at least to me. But you got a guy with a bad attitude, decides to run from the cops, doesn't comply. Yeah. Hey, you know, you're dancing with the devil right there. Yeah. I want one more story. I got to was uh, I was coming back uh, from my aunts in Georgia, and we were uh, they had shut down the highway at it was before Florida. I think we were still in Georgia, and so it's taken us some weird back road thing, like because they had completely shut down 75, like all lanes blocked. So we we're taking this weird back road. And I'm, it's, we had left late so that the kids could sleep while I drove, you know, and my brother's with us and, uh, he's a big bearded bastard, like always carrying guns. Like he's, he actually works at a gun shop. Like he's just, you know, and so already, right. So he's sitting in the front seat with me and my wife's in the back with the kids because we're in the minivan and this thing's packed to the gills. Look like we just drove from California, you know, (laughs) and we only took like a week, week long trip to Georgia, but, uh, one pair of underwear, one pair of socks, 700,000 rounds of ammo. Yes. Yes. And, uh, 10 million toys. But, uh, so we're driving and I I can't remember exactly what happened, but the, the detour on this back country road was like weird. And I'm trying to follow the GPS. And I think it was one of those things where like the GPS, like jaunts, a little bit. So yeah. I like went right, like on this, on this, you know, branch off. And then it was like auto correct. And like, it was going to take me like 12 miles the other way to turn you or you turn. I was like, screw that. And I, I mean, there were, we were in the middle of nowhere. I just like whipped a little Yui over the, it was a total dick move. What I did for sure. Like if someone saw it, they were like, what the hell, man? Like you could have, you know, cause I like turned onto another oncoming exit lane. Like it was, it was a Dick move for but sure. Nobody out there, right? Well, all the people that were being detoured, like it was a bunch of semis for some reason because they're, they're driving at night, you know. But uh, literally, I get back in. I'm going, see the lights, and I'm like, son of a bitch. I go, and I knew that that had to be what it was for because I wasn't speed out. I was like, damn it! I bet he was sitting like in that little alcove where I did my little bullshit move, probably like hiding because it was like. Like I said, it was probably like two or three in the morning and he's probably sitting there. He's like, this mother, like, because there were a bunch of trucks around and I know they're probably same thing that I think sometimes is like, 
well, if I don't stop him, someone's going to say something that I didn't stop this guy, you know, complain that I didn't stop this guy. And he walks up and you could tell that I had clearly either interrupted his Netflix show or his nap, one or the other. He walks up and he's like, what are you doing? And I go, which I have said to people before too, and I go, yeah, I'm an idiot, man. I, uh, I, I was following the GPS. I thought I was supposed to go right, and then I did it, and I freaking, I go, I'm a moron. I'm an idiot. And he's like, shines his light in the back with all the kids, which I'm like, hey, 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 the kids are sleeping. Like, don't wake them up. Like, I don't need this nonsense, you know? And he's like, he goes, where are you going? I go, I'm going to, I told him the whole story and everything. He's like, he goes, you have any weapons in the vehicle? Because he must have seen my brother sitting there. He goes, you got any weapons in the vehicle? I go, yep. And he goes, what do you got? And I go, well, I have a, I have a Glock on me. I uh, know he's got at least one on him. I have several in the back, like all this stuff. And he's like, why? And I go, well, you're traveling to Georgia, like from Florida. Like, I think you're required to carry so many guns, you know? Like, <laughs> like there's a, there's certain bylaws that you have to carry so yeah, many guns. Yeah, and yeah, he's like, one single stack, two double stack. So I had given him my ID and he's like, he goes, well, where's your badge? And I go, it's buried in the back, man. Like in the, in my backpack or whatever, you know? And he goes, Hang on a second. And he leaves. And I was like, that was kind of weird. And um, because I gave him like my my sheriff's office ID. ID. Yeah, Yeah, my picture ID. And uh, he comes back and he goes, you know, you're required to carry your badge on you if you're carrying a firearm. Like if you're, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, and I wasn't going to argue with him. Yeah. Like I knew that that wasn't the right way. But I, I was almost positive and I looked it up when I got back. I was correct. That policy is only in place if you're carrying your duty-issued firearm. You're supposed to have your badge oh, on you okay. as well, which I wasn't. I wasn't carrying my duty-issued firearm. But like he said it, and I didn't know for certain. I was just kind of like, uh, oh, my. I go, I mean, I have it. I can dig through the back if you want, but I'm have to get a lot of stuff out. And he's like, nah, you're good, man. Just don't drive like an idiot. And I go, yeah. I And I just totally owned it. And I think that that helped. But I just thought it was funny that he was like, you know – because I'm thinking that ID is more realistic than a badge. Anyone can buy a badge. Oh, gosh, like yeah. the, the picture ID, like way more realistic right. bit of like a proof of ID than, hey, here's my sheriff's badge. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that doesn't mean jack shit. Yeah. You know, so I just yeah. thought that that was interesting more so, but. No, owning it has always been good. We we were driving down to Bakersfield one morning because they, they had a, a pistol shoot down there. We were working uh, PMs. Uh, we had to be back at work at 2.30, but a, a buddy and I, we were going down there to shoot in this PPC match. It was, you know, the, the bullseye shooting that we used to mm-hmm. do back in the 80s. And so we had Sam Brown belts and holsters and speed loaders and crap in the back of my Camaro and, and you know, six inch 38s and everything and ammo and everything. And we're driving down 99 and this Porsche goes by us and then boom, this chippy goes by him, but he points at us and, you know, to pull over. So he pulls over the Porsche, we pull over behind him and he goes up, he makes contact with the Porsche driver. He comes back, he goes, see your driver's license. Yeah. Okay. You know, here it is. He goes, wait here. I'll be back with you in a minute. So he writes the Porsche, you know, and then Porsche drives off and then he, he comes back and he goes, um, okay. Um, your registration. I, yeah. Okay. And the car comes back registered, you know, Modesto police department. He goes, where are you guys going? I said, well, we're going down to Bakersfield to shoot in that PPC match. I think your gold and blue team are going to be down there. Because CHP used to have full-time deputies. Their job was to pe- compete in pistol matches all oh over the state. Gosh. What a job. No. They didn't work the road. All they did is shoot. It was bitching. Holy crap. So anyway, he didn't even 
can see all our gear in the back. It was crazy. I, you know, you'd think officer survival and everything like that. And then he finally catches it. And he sees all this stuff back there, and he goes, um, "Okay." He says, I, "I gave that guy a ticket, um, but I'm not going to give you guys a ticket because you're going down to shoot, drive safe, slow down." Okay, yeah, bye. cool, bye. <laughs> and we leave. We go down the road about three miles, and then pretty soon the Porsche pulls up next to us, and the, the Porsche driver's pointing at the side of the road, like pull over. It's like, oh, okay. So we pull over, and he pulls in in front of us. I, I still have his business card. I remember his name as I sit here. This is back in like 1981. I'm not going to mention his name on the air. But anyway, he comes back to the car. He goes, hey, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm an attorney from Merced. We can beat these tickets. He gives me his business card. And I almost oh. said, well, we didn't get a ticket. But there's ah, right. no way I was going to say that. I go, okay, well, maybe we'll call you. Okay, see you later. Bye. And he jumps in the car and takes off. You know, That's, Attorney in a oh. Porsche gets nipped and we didn't. You know? That's so, so there, funny. There is some justice in there. The I was just going to say, that's justice right <laughs> you know? there. And I, I have two close friends that are attorneys. Actually, I, didn't, I was working out with one of them in the gym this morning before I came down here. Yeah. Um, he's an attorney from Detroit. But um, anyway, it was a classic. He did. thought we got nipped like you did but uh, that's um, awesome yeah it's but you know things have changed over the years when it comes to all of that stuff you know it, it much easier in some ways to do the job for you guys today than it was for us but in other areas it was easier for us to do the job we didn't have the the constant criticism of what we did because there wasn't the influx video. of video cameras yeah. and things like that and that to me you need the right spokesman with the right tone and the right ability to communicate at your agency to be able to diffuse things like this Grand right. Rapids thing. Yeah. And if you have the right person, I think you can make a... You're not going to be able to convince everybody. No. But those fence sitters, when they hear the other side, and maybe they see some illustrations of what went wrong for the officer now he got killed in similar circumstances, maybe they would fall right. over to our side more often. Yeah. But, uh, it's funny you say that because one of my things on here, which not just, uh, it wasn't just weapons, but I had on there weapons then and now, like what you used to have to oh what you have gosh, now. Yeah. And like, it's funny you said that though, the video thing, because it's true because like most cops will tell you, they're like, oh, stupid, stupid body footage cameras because like in a lot of ways they can, it's more of a headache to deal with them, like wearing them and stuff. But at the end of the day, they've shown that they far, they go far and beyond to help officers rather than go the other way. Almost like it's some high, high number too. It's like in the 90 percentile that it goes in favor of the officer when the body camera is brought into view, like viewing for whatever the case, whether it's a actual legal proceedings or even an internal investigation. It almost always goes in favor oh, of the officer. Squash enormous numbers of complaints. They've right. had com people that have complained about officers, and then of course they're confronted with, "Well, you know, the officer was wearing a body cam, uh -huh. and we do have the footage from that." And then all of a sudden, "Well, maybe I'm not going to complain." Uh -huh. You know, and so yeah. there is, you know, a benefit from that. But um, yeah, the weapons. Well, you know, we we had we had the revolver, and then of course you had the you know the 870 shotgun, and there were no rifles back in the day. Although we did have. Um, four M2 carbines, the select fire carbines yeah. that were in the sergeant's cars. I remember they had those. But um, it was back, it was the early 2000s. I remember they, the, the, I worked for six chiefs, two of them liked me, the other four not so much. But the, one of the ones that liked me, he used to have a staff meeting every week. And anybody from the agency could attend the staff meeting. So you could have clerks in there and you could have animal control people. You could have detectives and cops and, you know, anybody could sit in if they wanted yeah. to hear what was going on. And it was attended, but not huge. I mean, it wasn't like overflowing, you know, like a stadium or anything like that. Right. But one guy came to me one day. I was up there, you know, I was a detective at the time. And he hits me up. He says, hey, they got that staff meeting this week, uh, JB. Um, can, can you show up? I, well, what for? You know, I, I got cases. 
And he goes, well, Lieutenant so-and-so wants to get rid of the shotguns in the cars. And I go, what? And he goes, yeah, he thinks that there's some, you know, some savings by getting rid of the shotguns. Could you just maybe be there? You already have them. What's the savings? Yeah. Like, you're going to so, sell them? Yeah. Like, so, it's goofy, you know, but it's, you know, it's a, it, here's a guy. He's a good guy, but he was a climber, and he thought, you know, this was his ticket to being a captain or one of the tickets. So I'm, I'm sitting in the back of the room. They have the staff meeting. They're talking about parks and rec, and they had some other stuff about alcohol enforcement. Then they get to the... You know, we got Lieutenant so-and-so, he's going to talk about a cost-saving proposal. And so he gets up and he says, you know, we've got, you know, 110, you know, Remington 870s in the agency. And we have so much ammunition and so much training time and maintenance time. And if we got rid of these, we could recoup money for the sale. We wouldn't have to spend money on the ammo. We could divert that to pistol ammo. Um, we wouldn't have to do the training on the shotgun so we could do less training overall. And he had all this stuff, you know, and it was pie charts and stupid stuff. And I'm just sitting there going, dumb, dumb, and more dumb. Mm -hmm. And so then they, uh, they okay, um, any questions from the uh, the group? And somebody goes, well, hey, you know, Bueller's in the back there. You, you're a firearms instructor. You got any, any thoughts on this? I go, yeah. I said, you know, no, no disrespect to the lieutenant. I said, but I, I see it as a horrible idea. I said, a shotgun is a tool that you're going to use if you're going to a fight. A pistol is what you use when you're, when your fight is thrown on you need to know it was coming. To take away something that is, you know, a good tool for law enforcement seems foolish to me. And as far as his argument about having liability for stray pellets, a, a shotgun pattern, ex, you know, expands about one inch for every three yards. I said, so that's not an issue. But if you're really worried about that, let's put rifle sights on them and shoot rifled slugs through them. I was just going to say slugs will solve that problem. And, and our chief was a gun guy. And he goes, well, how much is that going to cost? I said, it's about 80 bucks per gun. And I says, we got our armors, we can do it. You know, we're gonna have to take our take a day off from our other stuff to get them all done, but um, we can do it for minimal costs. And you're gonna have less liability, but you're gonna have, if you're going to a fight, I don't wanna go with just a pistol, and most people don't. And, okay, well, we'll go with the ghost ring sights there, John. Okay, next subject is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet that lieutenant oh, just. Oh my gosh. I, I bet he know, hated you forever. Well, well he, in line with the others, you know. Yeah. But, um, you know, and that was the thing. Well, you remember um, North Hollywood back in, yes. I think that was North, let's see, Miami was 86, North Hollywood was 97. And so, and that's the first time that we really got the agency to make a push for rifles. We got 50 M16A1s with the triangular handguns. Oh, yeah. Fixed stock, 20-inch barrel. They look like Vietnam style. Yeah. yeah, came from Quezon, you exactly, know, after they evacuated. Yeah. And so we had 50 of those. We ran 50 guys through a rifle training program that we put together. So we had 50 rifle people that were out in the field. And then um, the uh, sheriff's office, Stanislaw County, a friend of mine, Vince Mazzini, was running their firearms program over there. He came up with a personally owned rifle program. Now, of course, in California, you couldn't own an AR at the time because mm -hmm. it round bought since 1989. But they did have a provision in the Department of Justice out of Sacramento where if you had the signature from the chief, you could buy a personally owned AR-15 and use it in the performance of your duty. Hmm. So a lot of us ended up doing that because they finally ended up buying a bunch of um, AR-15 A3 tacticals. They were the 16-inch heavy barrel Colts. But they, I think they only got like... 50 of those, and of course, there, a bunch of other guys wanted guns, so a bunch of us ended up buying our own as a result. So I felt we were pretty well equipped then when you, you, know, you could use yeah. a rifle, and we, we used all, you know, uh, 5.56 five, soft point, 
uh, federal, depending on what was on the state bid. And that was kind of, so, it, you know, I saw it from both ways. I saw it, you know, you went out to every situation with a 38 revolver, and when I left, you were carrying, you know, other than, you know, a Hayes plasma rifle in a 40 aught range, you know, a Schwarzenegger head and, you know, Terminator, but, uh, you know, we, we had the best stuff that we could have, and so right. I felt pretty good about that. But, uh, um, yeah, it's, you guys, you know, you got the 320s, yeah. great gun. Um, I know you guys got a good rifle program over there, oh, yeah. and um, those work pretty good. I don't know what you could have better. Yeah, I, I that's what I was thinking about when I was uh, when we had talked about this. The use of force thing is I think it's odd that uh, we we keep improving our weapons, right? Like to go like the better the weapons, the better. Okay, we keep matching. Like we're not still using revolvers because right. something better has come along. Not that a revolver is not a good gun. It's not relevant for what we're using it for it's right. not it's not the right tool for the right job like i'm not going to have you hand you a half inch wrench when you don't need that you need a screwdriver like that doesn't do you any right. good right so that's kind of my thought process more so on the whole use of force thing too is it's like why don't we give people the right tools for the job instead of giving them more because i uh personally it's not that i don't like the taser i think the taser has a time and place i feel like a lot of people become dependent on the taser. Boy, you that, nailed that one. Yeah, yeah they really become dependent on that's, it. And then that's when it doesn't work, me. it's like, you know, they don't the know headlights. what to do. You don't know yeah. what to do. And so, like, I don't carry my OC because it messes me up more than... And I haven't carried it since... Like, I had the option to carry it in the jail. And I refused because I was like, I'll be in worse shape than they are. Yeah, like, yeah, it, exactly. it messes me up bad. And then now, uh, even the ASP, I used to carry it... Like, well, it's required that we carry it, but I've had to start, I've been more cognitive about taking it off when I'm about to go on a track because it keeps falling out or getting caught on something when I'm tracking through the woods or right. doing something like that. And it's like, I'm in a, I, I, I've lost one and I had to get it replaced. And it's like, uh, how often do I use this? Like, I'll just leave it on my seat, you know, like whatever. And, and I'm probably going to get, and, you know, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying that. But it's Well, that's like, what you used to do. You don't do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I don't do yeah. that anymore. Exactly. I obviously always wear it. Eh, it's marked down that time. And, uh, but uh, yeah, so like, no OC, don't use the ass. I would love to have the opportunity to use the ass, but it's just, I've got the dog, so I don't, yeah. you know what I mean? And to be fair though, I've been doing it 13 years. I've never used my taser. Ever. I've only ever pulled it twice. Gosh, I never used it. Used Even it. though I was only here 15 months, I used it one time over yeah. on the Clark Road one night. I couldn't believe it. It's like, oh, okay, we'll yeah. light this guy up. But and that's what I mean. It's not because I don't want to. It's just because... Well, the I, culture out here isn't, you know, uh, like for us, we you know, we were big side handle baton guys out on the West Coast. Yeah, that's PR what uh, I was talking with Mike about with the, the PR-24, right? Oh, gosh, that thing was fantastic because you could block with it. Right. You could chop with it. And then, of course, you could spin with it. And it was a, a fantastic. There was a come along hole where you could drive behind yeah. the guy's arms and you could walk them. But I used the PR. Gosh, I love that stick. Yeah. It was. If you had to go and chop wood, yeah. that's the hatchet you want. <laughs> that guy would work really good. But... but but my thing is, it's like people people find it very odd. They're like, you you never used your taser. I'm like, no. Nah. And I go, I've only ever pulled it twice, and I've had a couple people like, like, wow. like I can't believe it. And it's like, yeah, but the difference is, is like, I'm ready to go hands on in the. I'm not, not even with the dog. I'm talking even before then. Like, I'm ready to go, like. And by no means am I trying to make it sound like, oh, I'm some badass. I'm just saying that, like, 
I don't get. I'm not like if it, okay if we have to go hands on. That's You're confident what I'm going to do. I'm in your con- exactly. Yeah. So it's not a. I I by no means want to say it's an overconfidence at all, but I do want to. I do think that kind of like that video I played for you is it. It's proven that like officers that know how to handle themselves have less likely to escalate a situation too quickly. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that a situation can't get escalated. It absolutely can. There's been plenty of officer-involved shootings that those guys were very well-trained. Some of them black belts. Some of them former military. Some, it happens. The situation could still occur. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, if you can prevent yourself from, if it is a situation that's going from zero to 100, but you can take a slight pause at 60, say 75, before you hit 100 also, Maybe that's not a bad thing. You can kind of slow that roll just a little bit to go, wait a second here. What are a couple other options I have before I'm going to a lethal option if it's not necessary? If it's necessary, go for it. Absolutely. I'm not right. trying to say otherwise. But I just I just think it's, it's weird. All this stuff that I wrote down, I didn't initially have the idea of this. But as we talked further, I was kind of like, oh, like the use of force and the weapons and all this. It's like, oh, so it would make more sense to like, why would we not utilize what is actually, what actually works and we know to work to better train. You know what I mean? Like the whole, you know, a pistol over a revolver. And why would you not train even the VNR over not doing that? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not like doing this instead of this. It's like, well, if you do this, then you won't have to do this. You might not have to do this, this and next level. You that's know? where the confidence comes in. And, it, and it's conveyed through body language and how you carry yourself. And, and I, you know, I think back, we were well-trained with the firearms out there. Mm. And I, I'm confident that that showed when we were dealing with people. Is they could say, you know, they could see from your stance. They could see from the way you held your gun. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, well, that guy looks like he's probably got this down so all right you know and then there's shootings that probably didn't happen because our guys were pretty absolutely good. and that's that's unfortunate a num unfortunately a number that cannot be pulled is how many si- situations did not occur right. because someone goes eh, that guy squared away or oh that guy this or that that guy presented himself the right way or that guy spoke and he spoke to me instead of yelled at the, me. Like The verbal is huge, and that's one of the things that you find that the confident officer usually doesn't have to shout, yell, or scream. He can command, but he doesn't have to resort to that. And, and that's, you know, when they talk about de-escalation, well, well first off, there's, there's certain circumstances that are not tactically survivable. Right. Okay, you got to be realistic if you go into this job that, well, I might not make it through the career. Okay, do I still want to do this or want to go work at, you know, Bank of America or something? You know, right. less danger there, you'd like to think. But barring the tactically not survivable situations, the more confident I found that the guys I worked with, the more confident they were, they commanded the situation and, they, and it stayed under control. And there was a, there was a begrudging mutual respect. I remember we had a, a, a Norteño. He was, he was over on the south side of Modesto one time, his Hispanic gang member, and he was an OG. And he was, he was bad. He was, you know, he'd been to the joint many times, had the tats, you know, California Department of Corrections, you know, you know, life member. And, but he was out for a while. And he had a warrant. We went over to get him. And I was a sergeant. I had two of my guys, one on the beanbag shotgun, one with pistol backup. And then I had another one that was going to be the hands-on guy. And so we, he was in the front yard. We went up to him and I said, hey, you know, we got a warrant for you. You're going to have to go with us. And he just folded his arms in front of his chest. He says, I'm not going with you guys. And it's like, is there anything, you know the saying, is there anything I can say or do that will convince you to go on with what I'm asking you to do? <laughs> and, of course, he goes, I ain't going with you. And I go, hit him. And so Haka, 
unloads a beanbag into them. I don't think you guys use those. I don't know if they're no, even used in Florida, but they're bitches. Yeah. It's an 870 with a plastic uh, synthetic um, orange forearm pump yeah. and buttstock. So he hits them with a beanbag. Now, for the guys that haven't used them, they're pretty cool. They're like a canvas gun patch that has lead shot in them. They're you know packed into a 12-gauge yeah. round, so they won't penetrate or perforate a human. Right. But at at reasonable distance, they'll spank the crap out of you and right. like hell. And if I fact, imagine they, someone throwing a cornhole bag at you as hard as they possibly oh, can. Yeah. That's much smaller. So he spanks this guy with, with the bean bag and he goes, is that all you got? And I'm thinking, mother, this guy is a badass. Yeah. So I go, hit him again. And so he unloads four more into the Gun only hold five. One in the chamber, four in the tube. He takes five bean bags and then he goes... All right, you got me. Turns around, puts his hand behind his back. We cuff him up. We put him in the car. We take him down. We get him medically cleared there at the jail. So we're, we're talking to him there at the jail. And he's got the welts. And they are yeah. massive. And I, you know, I told him, I says, gosh, I said, I got to admire your your ability to take the hits, man. That is some pretty cool. And, of course, I was an older dude at the time. Yeah. You know? And he could see the hash marks. You know, I got six right. on the sleeve there, one for every five years. And he, he, he goes... I got to maintain my persona in the neighborhood, man. And I go, yeah, I get that. And he did with that by being able to take those five hits. So, <laughs> you know, the beanbag was a pretty good tool. You know, it was kind of like, it was like the taser. We could use it once in a while. Um, great on, on a vicious dog if you had to do a right. vicious dog. So it worked pretty good on that. Although just crackling the taser sometimes works on that. Uh -huh. But um, yeah, the beanbag was a pretty good thing. I, I kind of forgot about that until you, you <laughs> segued in there. And I'm thinking yeah. about other things that we use. But yeah, that was pretty much... For use of force things at, at the tail end of the career, you know, at the beginning of the career, you just filled out this one form and said you used a weapon. But at the tail end of the career, anybody that used a weapon or use of force on anybody, a sergeant had to come there with a little Sony video camera. We had to take a tape statement on the camera from the offender and ask him about what took place and everything like that. Oh, and it was, it was really kind of interesting because usually it was at the emergency room. And, you know, my questions were essentially, you know, I didn't Mirandize them because it wasn't going to be used as part of the prosecution. It's just it was a control thing for the agency. And it's like, you know, do you think if you would have gone along with, you know, Officer Brandvold's request that he wouldn't have had to resort to this? And, you know, Ryan, nine times out of ten, the guys would say, yeah, I was being a dick. Yeah, if I would have gone along with the program. Oh, and yeah. So, you know, even it's, it's interesting that I'm, in the heat of the moment, some of these guys, you think they're the biggest piece of crap in the world. But then you get them away from the situation. They don't have the witnesses. They don't have their peers there. And you start talking to them like a human. Then they kind of are human again. Yeah. And that goes along with, like you say, your, I think your idea of incorporating Brazilian jiu-jitsu, MMA stuff into law enforcement training to spur the physical fitness for you know the people that work the street. Right. Some people will never do it. I get it. Yeah. But if you can do that, that confidence shows up at every call you go to. Absolutely. And I, as it stands right now with the, you know, my imagination, I can't think of anything better that you can do right now than starting to incorporate something like that. Because that, it's been showed on that one video yeah. that there are some, you know, solid results that can be quantified. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's definitely something people should look into, but I'm sure anyone that listens to this regularly is probably like, all right, we got it. Do jujitsu. Jeez. You know, cause <laughs> I do, I do bring it up a lot, but I, you, you know, never told me about yeah, it. Well, you know, I just, it. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, I just, uh, I think that's probably, we're probably 
Oh yeah, we're doing pretty good. But uh, that's all I really had. I know we could probably talk forever and we'll probably just do another one, but- uh, I, I, I sure enjoy you these with you. And, yeah. and really the big thing for me is if there's a young guy out there, a young gal out there that you know is, is in the, the profession and they can get some benefit out of this, um, that's really the big thing for yeah. me. Uh, those last four years when I was working PMs, I had just a great squad. We had, our deployment period was every four months, so we switched three times a year. And so they'd be four-month rotations. And a lot of the people stayed with me for the four years. Some of them would go to other assignments and yeah. things like that. But I had a pretty good following because I was older. They knew I was going to leave as a sergeant. They knew I wasn't going to try and become a lieutenant off their mistakes. And, you know, I just told them. And, and maybe this is for any young sergeants out there. Don't make a, don't think you're going to make career off of the mistakes of the people that you supervise. Uh, to me, the sergeant is the older brother, the favorite uncle, uh, the mentor, the trainer, um, the person who sets the tone. And there were enough sergeants, there were, I think, 30, I don't know, 30, gosh, 34 of us, I think. I'm trying to remember how many there were. Uh, and uh, we had some sergeants that were just pieces of crap. Yeah. They didn't care about the guys. Um, at least once in the deployment period, I'd have pizza come in. I'd bring pizza in for briefing. And we, we did it differently than you guys. You know, we'd show up because he never took a police car home in California. Right. They would destroy it. My neighbor, he didn't even know I was a cop for two years. He lived across the driveway from me from East Oakland, Martin. Um, and he looks like Fluffy. Um, oh, really? Gabriel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He looks just like him. And then, of course, Gabriel's got, you know, his buddy is Martine. But this is the real Martine, my friend from Oakland. And so he, you know, I, I was working four on, four off. And I, I knew his kids well and his wife and everything. And, you know, my son play, kind of played with their kids and my daughter knew them too. And he, he worked at the Ford Parts Depot. He, you know, he looked like a Hispanic gangster, except he yeah. didn't have the tattoos. He drove the Black Raider Mobile, you know, Big Raiders fan and yeah. like that. And I didn't tell him what I did because I never came home in uniform. So uh, one day he's out in the, the driveway and he goes, um, hey, I've been meaning to ask you, what do you do? It's like, gosh, Martin, we're good friends. I, I really don't ruin that with what I do. And he, no, what do you what do you do? I'm really curious. I said, no, nah, you're not going to like it. Just let's just leave it at that. We're, we're friends, you know. And he he keeps pressuring me. And I finally said, well, I'm a cop. And he looks at me and Ryan. He goes, no, I don't see that. Really, what do you do? <laughs> so I said, well, whatever. So like two nights go by. I'm working, you know, that shift. And so it's like eight o'clock at night. Things are going crazy in the city. And but I'm in the north area, so I slide by. And I get out of the car, it's dark, you know, on the door. He opens the door, he looks at me, he goes, where'd you get the costume in the car? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? And I think he still couldn't hardly believe it. I said, you're coming with me tomorrow night. I'm picking you up at three, you're coming down to the station, you're going to ride with me for the shift. Tell your wife there's no way out of this. So the next night, of course, I, that night I told my guys, I said, I'm bringing my neighbor Martine in tomorrow. And he's from Oakland, so he might not really know what we're all about. Yeah. I said, treat him like Elvis. And they went, no problem. And so, you know, I, I get to the station and we have briefing, but you have to go down to the basement, to the locker room yeah. and change into your uniform. And um, so I put Martine in the briefing room and I went downstairs. I'm changing into the Superman suit, you know, and all that stuff. And, and so then the guys are filtering into the briefing room and Martine's in the back. And, you know, and so they come in and who the hell are you? And oh, he, uh, no. uh, uh, I'm, I'm Martine. I'm, I'm JB's neighbor. <laughs> what? 
hey guys, Martine's here. And then the guys are falling, hey, you're Martine. And oh, yeah, they're shaking his hand and everything. Yeah. And he, you know, it was like Elvis. And so he came out and we rode, we went to every hot call that we could get to, lights yeah. and siren as much as I could. He had the best time. He had a new version of cops. He saw cops in a different light that he never expected. Right. Even though he really wasn't anti-cop, but his experiences right. weren't always great. But um, I know you guys don't have that program, that rider program. That you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't see you know Sheriff Hoffman at all because he doesn't know me, he doesn't know right. me or anything like that. But I, that was that's one thing that I think they could do, and it you know agencies that do it, it's a good deal. Uh, we would do a background check on anybody who came down to ride to make sure they weren't felon or anything like that right. and have warrants. But we were able to take people and show them that side yeah. as an educator. And they didn't have to ride the whole shift. They could ride right. two hours, three I mean, hours. We, they do do that with uh, CLIA. They do the Yeah, you know, the but such a thing. limited, narrow focus. Yeah. But if yeah. you could, you know, you get a guy that's living down in, you know, Venice or in, you know, Northport or Longboat or, yeah. you know, any place. And, you, you know, if, if they were interested in the career. I know they have the Citizens Academy once in a while. Yeah. And that's kind of frosting. But to take somebody and put it, but you got to pick the right deputy. Yeah. You got to have somebody who is energetic, communication skills, and doesn't mind taking that. And that is a PR tool that can build rapport and friendship yeah. with the agency. I, man, I got stuck doing that a few times, and I was like, "Yeah, you gotta, you gotta no pick more. the right guy." Yeah, I was like, "No more, no <laughs> yeah. more. I can't do. It. I just don't like even anybody riding with me. Like yeah. I'm good, you know. Like yeah. I can do the dog because he doesn't talk to me right. or bother me. Doesn't complain about what music we're listening to, you know. But uh, yeah, that. And I mean, I had a nice. I never had anyone that was like, "Oh my god, get him out of my car." Like you know, nothing like that. But it's just one of those things where you're kind of like, ah, okay, I'm trying to mind my P's and Q's and, oh, yeah. you know, like yeah. make sure. But again, like you said, I also want to show them a good time, like in this grand scheme of like going to a good call and explaining to them like, oh, this is what we got to do with this and blah, blah, blah. And I think you're right. It's very eye-opening for people, but uh, yeah, it's got to be the right people doing it. Because well, for the, for the young cops, I, you know, I had young ones that were on my squad. I had, um, you know, several young guys. I had a, a couple of young gals on there. One in particular, uh, uh, Michelle Baker, um, gosh, she was like 5'4", maybe weighed 110. She was just small, but she could shoot, and she had incredible fear control. I, if, if, if they said, you know, JB, you've got to pick 10 people to go into this house, and it's high risk. She'd be one of my picks. Oh, wow. Because she was just solid. I, I, I had absolute complete confidence in her that I could rely on her, along with a bunch of other guys. I mean, I could, I could run off names all day, but nobody, it's not going to mean anything to anybody listening to this unless they <laughs> tune in from California or something. Right. But, but it doesn't make any difference what flavor you are. Um, it, I found great people throughout the career. The only ones that I had any issues with were some of the um, administrators, but uh, the generally, the, ah, there was, I remember there was one detective that was kind of a piece of crap and a couple <laughs> officers, but for the most part, gosh, I had great people that I worked yeah. with. Oh, it's all about how you surround yourself. And too. here too, yeah. you know, here yeah. too. I mean, I know that one lieutenant didn't care for me too much, but I just, I never thought I would find the quality of cops that I worked with in California down here. And yeah. then when I got down here, it's like, yeah, that's universal. They're yeah. Down here too. Yeah, there's good people for sure. I think it goes a lot. That probably goes with any profession. You can find bad apple in every batch, but man, for the most part, I think we're pretty. Oh gosh, you guys are solid. I, I, I remember I was, a, I was, you know, of course, a new guy and everything. And some deputy came up to me one day, and I don't even remember who he was because I didn't, I wasn't connecting names that because I was so new. And he goes, um, 
hey, you that guy from California? I go, yeah. He goes, remember that dick in your department? I go, well, yeah, there was a few. He goes, we got him here too. And then he walks off. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Yeah. Well, I was rolling yeah. on that. But, uh, <laughs> I, I mentioned that to, to one of the deputies, and they, they said they were pretty sure who that was. Yeah. But when he was funny as hell. <laughs> but, um, That's funny. Anyway, it's the best well, job in the world. I, I, you know, I respect you guys for doing it, especially in the turmoil of society today. I miss it every day. I wish I was still doing it with you, but you know, when you become a fossil and I got a carbon date you know, Nah, you're better things, off. So. You're better off for it. You're good. You did your time. You did your time. You did your time. You got out. It's like, it's like your jail term. Yeah. You got out. But well, thank you, John. I appreciate it so much for you coming on. And of, of course, always an open-ended invitation to oh, come thanks, back brother. anytime. Yeah, whenever so. you're struggling for somebody and you can't find a homeless guy in a dumpster on 41, give me a call. Pop on over. Well, I appreciate it very much, sir. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This podcast was brought to you by our newest sponsor, Conflict Resolution Solutions. CRS is a security consulting company specializing in home security, self-defense tactics, and situational awareness. To learn more about CRS, go to conflictrs.com or visit them on Instagram at conflictrs.